It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Stop punishing yourself with bland, chalky protein shakes and fuel your fitness with the best protein in the game at GNC. We've got the hottest brands and flavors that legit taste like cookies, your favorite cereal, indulgent desserts, and more. It's on at GNC. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. had one of those nights and it was fun to see our guys really seek him out. Good morning. Welcome in Herd at Sports Radio. I'm Andrew Rogers alongside me Anna Bellinghausen today in for Ravi Lula. We are live on ESPN Radio, ESPN Omaha, ESPN Tri-Cities. You can catch us on the stream. Join us in the chats on YouTube, on Twitter, and uh, we've got a great show planned for you today. A uh, home hoops Tuesday that we will react to. Some good guests, Brian Christofferson coming your way at 8 o'clock, Kevin Suits at 8.30, and Brett Sobleski at 9 o'clock. We'll talk a little bit about the NFL playoffs, so some about the coaching movement mixed in there. Some conversations about perspective. We have Major League Baseball Hall of Famers to get to, and you know what? We'll close out with a little bit of trivia. But first, Anna, good morning. Good morning. Thanks for having me, Andrew. You had a long evening and will have yeah. a long week ahead, but let's start with Creighton. Yeah, Creighton, great win for them. I, I was talking to Ryan Kalkbrenner after the game, and we were just kind of laughing about how hard it is to win in the Big East because I feel like sometimes it goes underappreciated. You, you look at a Xavier team, you're like, Creighton should win this game, right? Uh, on paper, of course, but... Creighton should win every game. <laughs> honestly, yes, on paper, but then you get to the uh, to the point of, of the game, and Creighton's down by seven, but finds a way to come back in that second half, and then pulls away at the end, um, and, and really showed some dominance down the stretch there, and you had Baylor Shireman just absolutely go off and get the crowd into it, so it was, a, it was a great win, I think, just for the resume and for the confidence, especially when you look at a team that just came over from 
from uh, a Seton Hall win in triple overtime. And uh, Ryan Kalkburner, he was tired. He was like, man, I was huffing and puffing out there, but uh, found a way to get it done. And I think it's a it's a big win for, for momentum for Creighton. Well, Kalkburner especially gets just bullied down low mm-hmm. all game. And that's not like a, a, in a negative connotation. Uh, it's just he, he's constantly fighting yeah. for position. So it, it doesn't shock me that he, he comes off the floor at, at various points in the game and uh, is like, I need a swig. Yeah. I need a seat. I just need a break for a hot sec. You know, guard play is, is a lot easier because it's less demanding on the body. Now, yes, you have to create for yourself. Uh, you're constantly moving and, and, you're, and you're, taking, um, you're taking your runs. You're taking your cuts. Uh, so, so you can get tired, but it's not, it's not demanding yeah. on too demanding on the body. Whereas when you're trying to post up down low, and Kalk doesn't have a lot of meat on his bones. He's got a lot of height. He's got a lot of length, but he doesn't have, he doesn't have that that concrete foundation that you see from a lot of big men mm-hmm. in the Big East. But in college basketball, just in general, it's a lot more difficult. Um, but he. Believe it or not, still makes it look easy. Mm -hmm. He still finds the way to get the basketball, and it may not look pretty every time it's going up because he's getting bodied out of position, but he's still able to finish at the rack. And Kalk ended that game in double figures, 16 points, but he – it seemed like he started to slow down in the second half once Shireman and Alexander really started picking up steam. Yeah, absolutely. I would say the same in the fact that I think Baylor just kind of took over that second half for this team, and then Trey started off four for five right away, so I think that helped. And then Kalkbrenner getting into the post and creating, I, I think he just has such a nice touch that sometimes you just forget about what kind of presence he is. It's hard to forget about him just because – obviously his size and physicality but um when when those guys around him are doing so well it's easy to let Kalkbrenner get a few in a row and then uh, get this team going between the post and also the three so I think that was huge but yeah I think it was a quieter second half for him but it didn't really matter because they had other guys step up and I think that's what's so dangerous about the Creighton team once again Baylor Shireman plays every minute of the basketball game 40 minutes um it's it's funny. It's funny because you would think the guy that on this team that would play the entire game would be Trey Alexander. Right. Yet it, it always happens to be uh, Baylor Shireman, uh, a true fighter, stays out of foul trouble. Uh, Twenty points in the game, as you said, r- really started to get hot in the second half. And when he made that first three, I remember, I remember Kugler saying. Don't let him get started. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Xavier at this point wasn't too far, um, you know, out of the lead. Uh, Creighton started to really extend uh, once the game – you know, got to like under seven, you know, sure. they would get up seven points and then it would, be, it would become four, but then another three would make it seven. And they never got, allowed Xavier to really um, get, get that score close again. Uh, you know, it ends 85-78 and you may be thinking, well, that's a close score. But when you're talking about the difference of three points as, as the score is shifting back and forth, it feels like an eternity mm-hmm. to try to get back to the number you're trying to hit. And Shireman was that guy to answer. Oh, and they yeah. found a way to answer. And it's funny because you watch what they did against UConn, and they never could get an answer in the scoring column. But they also got, they also got tatered on the glass. Mm-hmm. Uh, second chance points were a problem against UConn. They were actually a problem against Xavier too, but yeah. Creighton was able to mask those issues because of their scoring ability. When you shoot the ball in this game, 39% from three, 
49% from the field, you still have a, a chance to win even when you fail in one category mm-hmm. because team success can carry you past a, a certain bump in the road. But against UConn, there was only bumps in the road. Yeah. There, there, was, there was no positive takeaways from that UConn game. But this right here showed me a lot. And one play I wanted to point out in particular, and I was shocked that uh, a rebound didn't get credited to him, was the play from Isaac Trout early in the first half. So uh, on, on the front end, he was coming off a, a made three. Then he hustles back on defense, and he was out of position. I, I don't remember if it was a floater from Xavier or if it was a shot and he was trying to uh, regroup and get in front of his, his man, but he was going to get beat for the offensive board. But he fought through, sideswiped, and was able to either get the, the takeaway or, or the rebound, and he, he saved it and, and, and got it to call printer. And, you know, I felt like Leonardo DiCaprio in that moment. Like, oh, oh, oh. Just pointing at the screen. <laughs> because I'm like, that's what I've been looking for out of this mm-hmm. team. Effort. Yeah. Effort on the glass. And that right there showed it. And it showed it in the best way possible because it came from somebody that doesn't touch the floor a lot. Mm-hmm. And it, it shows that not only does this Creighton team have depth, but they have heart all the way down their bench. For somebody to come in and just be like, no, I'm going to make the most of my minutes, I'm like, that, that's that. Mm-hmm. I've, been, I've been waiting for that, especially coming off of that yeah. UConn game. I mean, there was a play, too, if you remember. Uh, there was two offensive boards on the possession, and Baylor Shireman ended up making a three. Yeah, he the missed Farabello the first one. Back. Yep, and then that's the kind of effort I'm talking about and, and you're speaking about, but Francisco Farabello, that's who I want to be that energy and defensive guy for Creighton. I think he's really fallen into that role and, and getting crucial steals at big moments and, and just being a guy that's going to hustle on that play like you just mentioned, but it has to go throughout the whole team as well because, I mean, you look at the bench points for Creighton in any given night, it's only between, like, two to seven, eight, nine points. They're heavily reliant on their starters. Right, they're, they're really relying on those starters, so that's when you have to have heart, you have to have that effort because if you want to make a deep March Madness run, that's what it's going to take, and I think there is that within this team, and Greg McDermott said it in pretty much every press conference about battling on the glass, and that's been a huge, I think, point of emphasis between their practices and also just what they talk about in the locker room. But I think he really challenged his team to say, like, hey, we might be one of the best scoring teams in the Big East, but we have to be a better defensive team and rebounding team. And I, I talked with Kalkbrenner about defense last night, and, and he said, hey, we have aspirations to win the Big East and make a deep mar- March Madness run, and that's not going to come unless we're a two sided team we already got the offense figured out for the most part but defense really still needs help and still is improving and I think a lot of that goes to effort not only rebounding defensively obviously but um, again the offensive boards have to come when you need those second chance points especially if it's a night that they're not shooting well and one more note before we change gears and talk Nebraska what I think is the most underrated trait of this team is they do such a good job of taking away the opponent's leading score. Mm-hmm. Such a good job. And now that's credit to, to Ashworth um, because I thought he, he was kind of a menace uh, to Olivari last night. Uh, you, you, you add Farabello into that yeah. mix a lot too, and you, you get kind of some scrappy play from the two of them. But if you just go back four games ago, you have Joel Soriano, 
who got his points, had 13, but that's below his season average. Mm-hmm. So Kalk did an awesome job yep. of, of making it difficult on him, and that's what propelled Creighton to win that game. Then you go back and you look at UConn, and yes, Caravan and, and the Huskies controlled the entire game, but Caravan only had 13, that wasn't the most, mm-hmm. and he was the hottest player coming into that matchup. Yep. Had, you know... They, they didn't really have a chance to win in that game. So, I mean, we can kind of push that one to the side, but it's still uh, something to take note of that, hey, even in their worst, they took away the opposition's leading scorer. Then you look at um, Kadari Raymond mm-hmm. against Seton Hall. If it weren't for triple overtime, he wouldn't have hit his nope. season average. But he ends with 21, and that tied for the team. But, again, he played 51 minutes in that basketball game. It's not hard to hit, get to your – your season total, right. if not a little bit more. And then you had Quincy Alivari last night with 13 points. That's under his season average. They just do such a great job of removing a key piece mm-hmm. of their opponent. Creighton's a team that won't let one man beat them, I think is a good way to put it. It has to be a full team effort if someone's going to – no no player, I think, can single-handedly beat this Creighton team just based upon the talent that they have. So it's really got to be a great shooting night for the opposition and um, a lack thereof for, for the Creighton side. But, yeah, it's a really good point that – Creighton's done a really good job. And I think something else that goes unnoticed is how good Creighton is at guarding the perimeter. Last night, 7 of 21 for Xavier. So that was honestly a better shooting night for a lot of Creighton's um, opponents. They've they've held teams at two, three, four, three-pointers in games, especially in a, a league like the Big East that likes to put up the three ball. But, um, yeah, I think that goes unnoticed a little bit. But, again, I, I, I think they've done a great job at limiting those scores and – it just comes down to defense at the end of the day for Creighton of their biggest question mark. So it's it's going to be an interesting thing to unfold as, as time goes on. And, and speaking of as time goes on, these next six games could easily be W's in the column for Creighton mm-hmm. because you have DePaul coming up. You have a couple against Butler. You have another one against Xavier. Providence is mixed in there. Uh, Georgetown ends the, the so-called easier schedule I'm gonna I'm gonna say that lightly because Georgetown's actually playing some pretty good basketball right now but you know any game in the Big East could could go any sort of direction but that's that's the stretch before UConn and Marquette Mm -hmm. and Villanova Um, St. John's is mixed in there too so you have a nice window here a window of opportunity to really take away maybe you know, five, six more wins, you could be 20, 21, and five come UConn. So uh, the schedule's pretty loose right now for Creighton, but that's nothing to sleep on, too, in the Big East. If you look at what happened up in Lincoln, well, you could call it a masterful performance (laughs) by the Huskers up there. Rink Mast had a career night, 34 points. He was six of eight from downtown, and – you know, it, it was easy to point out that the Huskers knew who the hot hand was because Mass was getting the basketball yeah. like Casey Tominaga gets the <laughs> basketball uh, around the perimeter. And he just he just couldn't miss. But you know what? Take what you're given. Yep. And that's what Rink Mass did. No, it, it was it was fun to see. I was obviously at the Creighton game, but I got to watch highlights and uh, see everyone freaking out on Twitter because of Mass play. And um, I think it, it was just a great night in Lincoln. And I feel like if you're the Huskers right now, you're kind of treating every single game like it's win or go home because you want the best possible position for March Madness. And um, they had a couple losses that they really wanted back. And I think Josiah Alex said in one of the post games that some of those losses haunt his dreams every day because um, 
um, of how close they were and a few that they should have won. But um, I think you treat every game like it's your last if you're Nebraska. And they certainly did that last night and, and just went off against Ohio State. And, I mean, give the man the ball. Like, Rink Mass, like, just keep feeding him. If it's his night, it's his night. And I, I think that says a lot about Casey Tomanaga, too. And, and, like, he understands the moment of, hey, maybe it's not my night. I mean, I'm still going to get my shots when I can, but let's feed this guy. For the third straight Peacock game as well, blood oh, was yeah. drawn on Rink Mass uh, body at yep. some point. Uh, this time it was on the back of the arm. It's, it's pretty crazy how that's actually a stat and uh, will probably be something <laughs> that people talk about uh, as uh, – I like to call them stupid stats. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I'm a big fan of the stupid stats sometimes. Um, but – Let's not overlook C.J. Wilcher and Bryce Williams also having pretty big games for the Huskers. They combined for 30 points. Home basketball is not a problem. Mm -hmm. Like, let's just say that yeah. right now. For the Huskers, it's not about playing at home. It's about playing on the road, and that's what they have to do next against Maryland. So it's about what can they carry over now, and I think it's a couple of things. Uh, one, uh, Maryland's no more special than Ohio State. In fact, they are lower in the conference standings, but – the only thing that they have going for them is that they are the best uh, defending scoring in the Big Ten. They rank 22nd nationally in defensive efficiency. Uh, that's in the Ken Palm rankings. Uh, they're among the best teams in the country defending the interior. They're number 11 nationally uh, defensively against two-point shots. And they're 20 points, or 20 rather, 20 spots lower than Ohio State in the Ken Palm rankings. So it's not like they're going to present a really tough task for Nebraska. It's just about kind of ripping the monkey off the back now. Like yep. you, you, you have to find a way to win on the road. I was telling Ravi yesterday, if this team wants any chance of winning, or not even winning a game, but getting to the NCAA tournament, they have to win on the road. They oh, have yeah. to prove that they can win on the road. Mm -hmm. And especially because once you get to March Madness, obviously those are all neutral courts, but – it's pretty much the same thing as playing an away game, especially if um, half the crowd isn't rooting for you. I'm sure Nebraska fans would travel for that, of course. But then you, you look at the home schedule, too, and you got Wisconsin. And I think that's going to be a, a very telling game for Nebraska. And um, excited to see how they respond in that game. And then you play an Illinois team who's ranked number 10 in the country right now on the road. So they've got quite the amount of battles upcoming. Um, I think it's just going to be a real um, identifier of how well this team can do, not only in the Big Ten tournament, but also in a postseason run because you're playing in hostile environments at some points and environments at least you're uncomfortable with. Um, I think it'll be really interesting to see how they how they respond. But you don't want to be known as a team that can't go on the road and win ball games. But Fred Hoiberg said it in a post-game press conference. He's like, I know this team can, can win away games. It's, it's not something I want this team to identify with. But... At least you get a good one at home, um, a confidence booster, if you will, and then you, you do play a good Maryland team on the road, so I think that game will, will tell a lot about the Huskers. And, and not that this team needs added belief, but maybe somebody should tell them, like, hey, guys, John Fanta predicted you to go dancing before the season even started. There you go. And even yesterday, you Joe Lenardi blessing. called you guys that team that would, you know, be mid in your conference but be kind of like that – surprise mm -hmm. run team in the NCAA tournament like that's that's the that's what you carry right now that's how people yeah. look at you believe that you can also be that team it's not just at home you guys don't need the the Lincoln environment to showcase your abilities mm -hmm. 
do it somewhere else. Bring your own energy. You can. Uh, the other point, too, um, and this was pointed out to me yesterday, uh, a couple of good talking points, but the first one, Nebraska's plus 21 in rebounding in their last two games. Mm-hmm. You can win a lot when you don't give up a lot of second-chance points. And uh, Nebraska's doing a very good job of finding a body, getting a rebound. You mentioned Josiah Alec. I love the, uh, the, the physical nature of his game. He's kind of – He's somewhat a loose cannon out there. Um, <laughs> he, he cracks me up. He's but, one of my favorite players to watch. But he he goes after it. He does. He, he gets after what he uh, he he gets after his. And you know Sam Hoiberg's a little bit like that too. Um, I, I don't remember when I was talking to Mike Sauter about this, but I asked him the question most important to the team right now. I think it was a couple of weeks ago. C.J. Wilcher or Sam Hoiberg, mm-hmm. and it was a hard answer because Wilcher was hitting almost every three and yeah. still is, um, but Hoiberg gives you the chance to to have a point guard that plays with a lot of speed and transition mm-hmm. but also isn't somebody that creates for himself. He creates for others, and it was, it was funny because as you talk about the bench, it's like, well it, – it's nice to have guys of different strengths. It's, it's not really about who's better right now. Right. It's about having the right pieces on your team. And Nebraska has found a way to click more mm-hmm. than probably Creighton's found a way to click more at this point. I mean, especially with the bench, and I think that's one of the biggest indicators of, of how well a team can do with the sparks off the bench like when you can put a guy in like Josiah Alec and have him go get a few boards, maybe he doesn't create five or six points but that's okay if he doesn't turn the ball over and he's just simply doing his job and maybe having a steal or having a block um, every now and then I think that's huge and you mentioned Sam Hoiberg too and I think he's just a big um, not only energy guy but a glue guy for the team and you throw that term out there and sometimes has a negative connotation of like oh you're not a star player you're just a glue player but no I think that's so important to teams and having those guys that can come off the bench do their job not be selfish they're not going in there and trying to get their own when they're in for 10 minutes 20 minutes of a game they're, they're trying to truly do what's best for the team and, and fill in spots where they need and I, I think the bench role is so undervalued obviously because they don't get all the the limelight but uh, I think sometimes those are the teams that do so well in the postseason and March Madness and tournament um, when it comes to postseason tournaments for for conference too and probably a reason why John Fanta put them up there and people are talking about how this Nebraska team could be a surprise in March and I wouldn't doubt it either because of the sparks that they can get off their bench and also relying on their starters it's huge. Everything went right for the Huskers yesterday. 16 second chance points opposed to two on the other side. Bench points were pretty similar on both ends. And then, of course, you had a career night from Rink Mast. Everything went well. How about everything carries over and goes well again against By the way, Because you have to think about what they have in front of them after that game. And it's two ranked matchups, yep. like you said. One with Wisconsin, that one being at home, which, okay, you're probably <laughs> in a good spot. Uh, but then the next one is on the road at Illinois, yeah. another top ten team. Go ahead, Shane. Is that rink mast uh, stat with Peacock? Is that a, is that a prop? <laughs> Maybe next time they play on Peacock. But I know a lot of people are upset whenever the Huskers are on Peacock. So uh, how about we hope that they aren't on Peacock anymore this year? We don't yeah. want him bleeding anymore also. No, no we don't. Uh, I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> I mean, if he's going to put up 34 points, I'll scratch him in the back of the arm myself. 
I, I will draw some red juice <laughs> on the back of that man's arm just so that it can, uh, it can turn out to be a, a 34-point night, a double-double night. Let, let's add that in, too. Yeah. Ten total boards for, for Rank Mast. And, um, you know, when, when a player is hot, uh, stay hot. So uh, that's the inside look on both Nebraska basketball matchups. Uh, when we come back, I want to get into one more point before we touch on um, some national storylines. Because yesterday um, at the game, Dylan Rayola sat with yeah. John Cook and um, some of the volleyball personnel. And, you know, I, I heard this from a longtime listener of the show. Um, he goes, I wonder what his teammates think of that. And I kind of like sat back and I go, well, how so? Like, good? Bad? I'll tell you the answer when we come back from break. Again, we have a great show set up for you. Coming your way at 8 o'clock, we'll dive back into Nebraska basketball with Brian Christofferson. Um, he gave his play-by-play on Husker 24-7 last night. And then we'll also touch on some Nebraska football recruiting with him as well. But when we come back, that answer... Do Dylan Mariola's teammates think it's good or bad that he sits with John Cook? And maybe how does the fan base react? We'll get into that next here on Heard at Sports Radio. How do you make a vacation last? How do you hold on to the joy, the clarity, the calm? Easy. You go to Aruba. You'll spend your time relaxing on cool, white, sandy beaches and floating in healing blue water. You'll meet locals brimming with gratitude for an island that redefines what a paradise can be. You won't just feel great. You'll feel relaxed, renewed, and ready for life. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. You're listening to Hurt at Sports Radio. All right, welcome back to the show. Heard at Sports Radio alongside Anna Bellinghouse and Andrew Rogers. Before we get back into it, I want to take a moment and tell you about the Team Jack Foundation, currently funding 13 projects and collaborating with national institutions. Their raised-to-date number, over $12 million and counting. Focus, finding better treatments for kids fighting brain cancer in one day, a cure. That's the big one. Why treatments currently used are are 45 plus year old and highly toxic. If a child survives a brain tumor, they are often left with lifelong deficits due to toxic treatments. One of the one of the largest largest projects is at the University of Nebraska Medical Center, the creation of a Nebraska Childhood Brain Tumor Program. The Team Jack Foundation does a lot of great things for the community um, and has for a long period of time. Uh, please help them fight the battle uh, so one day, like I said, 
kids fighting brain cancer will be no more. And one day they can find a cure. Um, that's Team Jack, the Team Jack Foundation. Um, one thing uh, before we jump into the point that I led in to break, Anna brought up a, a great point about that Creighton game. Those two technical fouls mm-hmm. were huge for Creighton in terms of being able to keep and extend their lead. Yeah, and you think about that second one, especially in the second half on the Xavier bench, like that is such a preventable technical foul that just can't happen, can't happen at that level. It can't happen in Big East Conference play. It can't happen in January. It can't happen in February or any time later on. They really got to have a talk about that and, and just keeping your emotions even keel. Yeah, you get caught up in the moment. I get it. Be upset, but don't yell in refs' faces. Don't don't do anything that can put your team in jeopardy because honestly, those free throws and then getting a ball, getting the ball back, I think helped Creighton and honestly was a reason why Xavier lost that game. Four free points. Um, Ashworth, I know, made the last two in the in the technical. Did he make the first two as well? I know he yes. made the first one. Mm-hmm. And then I don't know what happened. I, did I zone out during the <laughs> second free throw? Who knows? You were falling we were on multitasking ice. last night. Um, <laughs> that first free throw or, or that first set of free throws, was that a first half? Yes. Technical? Um, Ashworth with the Band-Aid on the eyebrow. Um, all good things. I love that. All good things, right? Uh, but, yes, uh, the, those are moments at a basketball game that you have to keep your emotions in check. Although, um, if I can play the other end of the stick here, sometimes you need those to give your team the kick in the rear and, and show that, hey, yeah. I'm here for you. I stand with you. You just have to be able – to respond to, to, to that, to, to respond and produce <laughs> off of what I just did to kind of light this spark, light well, the fire under sa- you. The St. John's game when Baylor got the technical might have been a little softer of one than a uh, and a little bit less preventable. I think it was just emotions after a, a missed foul call, but um, the team responded after yeah, that. Pick so me up. Pick you gotta me up. you gotta That's pick your you team up. So yes, Andrew, it could be good sometimes if it goes in your favor, but when you uh, lose the game, it becomes a glaring mistake. All right, so on the other end here, um, going into break, I asked the question, um, and this came from a longtime listener. When Dylan Rayola was sitting next to John Cook at the basketball game, he said, I wonder what his teammates think of that, um, you know, sitting next to John Cook and, and the response the fan base has given him so far. And, and, you know, I asked how so, and he's like, well, you know, it could be good because if he lives up to expectation, like, perfect. Like, mm-hmm. you know, he, he, it, it's it's what he was brought in to do. Yeah. But if he doesn't, and he's already looked at as the anointed one. Sure. You know what what mix do we fall back into? Because this this is kind of a reminder of you know what you saw maybe with Scott Frost coming in, and mm-hmm. it's just like hey, it's it's he he's he's the one. He, he's the savior. Sure. And it wasn't the case. And so with with Dylan Raiola now, it, yes, you know you hear from a lot of of different scouts. Um, you hear from coaches, you hear from just people around the program that are like, no, he's everything that he's talked up to be. Um, but if it's not actually shown on the football field, uh, then what will people think? Mm-hmm. Like, what will his teammates think of X, Y, and Z? And I'm like, huh. Like, you know, I never really thought about that. Like, it's a decent point. Yeah. It's, 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 it's a decent opinion. Um, because it is crazy what desperation can do to a fan base. Um, and I mean that with all the respect in the world, Nebraska fans, because, um, you know. When <laughs> Desperation. You, well, when you're desperate for <laughs> yeah. for making a bowl game, when you're desperate for things just to go right, mm-hmm. um, you know, 
at some point you you have to get out of the denial stage, and I think a lot of Husker fans are out of the denial stage now, and it's just kind of like this is who we are. We need to find a way to get back. Yeah. Um, when you are so desperate and you get a recruit like this, the top recruit in program history, at least in a long time, um, especially at the position, right? This is the top recruit mm-hmm. at the position who can really help turn around the program. And you see the progress of Coach Rule. It's like, please go right. Like, that, yeah. that's what people are thinking about. Now, I, my New Year's resolution at the beginning of 2024 was less negative Nancys, more optimistic Oscars. Okay. That's what we need from the Nebraska fan base. Stay positive because as far as we know Dylan Rayola has been able to back it up Mm -hmm. Matt Rule has been able to back it up and I love the way that DR carries himself I think he's the right personality he's the right fit for this program and he really exemplifies the standard that Matt Rule preaches and expects Mm -hmm. I think I mean there's a lot of uh pressure that comes with being Dylan Rayola and a lot of privilege too and I've had this conversation with Tommy Frazier and Johnny Rogers on our podcast The Run and Tommy talked about how no matter what quarterbacks always get treated a little bit differently and he and Johnny was like no no player should be treated differently but Tommy was pretty adamant on no you kind of have to treat your quarterback room differently because there's not as many of them and they always get the blame no matter what it's always a head coach and the quarterback so if you put that amount of pressure on those players I think they deserve a little bit different of treatment not saying that they should be given certain things they don't have to practice blah 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 but I think there's a certain amount of care and a little bit of extra caution that you take with those players in and how you treat them and how they're viewed because you bring up a good point about um, Dylan I mean even so the story was he was sitting with the volleyball team but so many fans came up to him and wanted autographs and pictures that they physically moved him onto the floor next to John Cook so it wasn't just him wanting to sit there I think he was just trying to hang out watch the game and of course Husker fans want to meet him um but yeah, you, you see a guy in the limelight who's never played a snap at Nebraska being one of the most worshipped guys in the state. And that's a really tough position to be in. And I think DR's handled himself super well. And I mean, he hasn't really said anything. He's been completely fine with everything he's done. He's, he's humble. Sh- he's humble. He's, he's showed out to games. Like you can tell that he's really investing in the Nebraska culture and, and wanting to be a part of the community. Um, but it's so early. Like we, he's barely been on campus and everyone's, you know, worshiping him. And it's the same thing with Scott Frost. And obviously you, you don't want it to end up like that. And I don't think it will, but um, I think Husker fans, I would caution them just to be, a little bit patient and a little bit, um, like you said, optimistic about about what can go right. Well, you you mentioned how quarterbacks are treated differently, and and there's so much truth to that. Not just in the fact of in the program how they're treated, but outside the oh, program yeah. as well. Because you know, I was listening to a, a Matt Rule snippet at the Texas High School Coaches Association yesterday, and he was talking about how in Carolina, you know. When, when things aren't going right, like Coach Rule's at the podium, and who else is at the podium too? Quarterback. The quarterback. Yeah. Quarterback's always at the podium. No one's yelling at the offensive lineman or the You're, tight end. You are treated differently yeah. as a quarterback, and that's okay. That comes with the territory. People know that. You are either the superstar. You are either the person that dates, you know, the most popular cheerleader in high school because, you know, it's the quarterback. You know, Every love story that you watch on the Hallmark Channel. <laughs> if it involves a high school football player, he's dating the, the lead cheerleader, right? Yep. Well, you know what? That's kind of like the, the example here. They are treated differently than the O-lineman, than a wide receiver. Like, look, 
Diggs dropped a 80-yard bomb yeah. in that divisional game. But people are criticizing Josh Allen for some of his other throws. Mm-hmm. They aren't talking about how if Diggs makes that play, you're within 20 yards and who knows what can happen. The quarterback gets treated differently, and people just need to understand yeah. that and, 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 and realize that that's also a good thing because you need somebody to be your team leader in the face of your program. And if, if Dylan Rayola can become that, mm-hmm. whether it's, it, it, it's things are going bad or things are going really well, it, it, it's, a, it's about growing at that position too, mm-hmm. like how he grows into a football player, a man, um, and, and how he's able to just kind of become that team leader, um, become the ultimate teammate, somebody that can take a bullet for somebody else, that wants to be on the front line. Seems like he's that guy, and he's always wanted to be that guy. And he's never, he's never let the fame, he's never let the popularity get to his head. In every interview I see him in, it, 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 it's, he's so humble, and he's always putting others before himself. Yeah, and I think that's the guy you want leading Nebraska, and I'm really excited to see it. So a little early to say anything, but hey, Dylan Riola could be, could be the guy for Nebraska to turn things around. <laughs> TK goes, BS, everyone yells at us. He's a former offensive uh-huh. lineman. Uh, I don't know anymore. <laughs> Donnie no, Riola's lineman, a yeah, nice they, job for you. People do yell at them, I will say, yeah. We'll take a short break. <laughs> You're listening to Hurt at Sports Radio. Find a fresh take on a fall getaway to Wilmington, North Carolina and beaches. Enjoy hiking trails in a state park, fresh seafood with a sight of live music and fall festivals galore. Then live it up along the Riverwalk in Wilmington's historic downtown. With three island beaches, Carolina, Curie and Wrightsville and a vibrant downtown, you get the best of the Carolina coast all in one place. Plan your fall getaway at WilmingtonandBeachesVacation.com. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. All right, welcome back to the show. 888-638-4876. If you'd like to get involved at any point, heard at Sports Radio on ESPN 590, ESPN Tri-Cities. We'll be on KFOR in Lincoln starting at 9 o'clock. Anna Bellinghausen in for Ravi Lula today. Ravi will be back tomorrow on the show. Um, if you are looking for something to do tonight, how about you, uh, you stop by the CHI? Um, and no, Creighton isn't playing for all of you out there that are like, they played yesterday. The Omaha Supernovas, Supernovas are in action, and this is the word I can never say right, so I'm going to say it slowly. It is their inaugural match. Inaugural. No, match is the hard word. <laughs> uh, and the Omaha Supernovas take on the Atlanta vibe tonight. You have a chance to win tickets on the show. Uh, we will be doing some trivia later on, and if you follow her at Sports, or if you don't follow her at Sports, follow us on Instagram in particular for this, because Anna will be making a poll. Anna drew up. Oh, will I? Yes, you will. <laughs> Uh, she just found that out. <laughs> we are. Did you do Omaha trivia, or is it? Are you smarter than an Omaha native? 
I mean both. Okay. So I'm going to face off against Shane. And Shane is going to be the expert mm-hmm. in that. And I'm going, obviously, I'm going to I feel like Shane Loki doesn't know Omaha history. I don't know why. But like. And maybe not. Maybe not. But Shane, or maybe he's a genius on Omaha history. It, you'd be surprised. Shane knows some things. Okay. Like I got, I got told yesterday on this show. Shane, Shane, what do you think, Shane? Shane? Knows a few things. Uh, I know it's icy outside. That so boy. Be, be I, careful I did, outside. I did slip and fall, um, and that's for a, a different ad read later on. Um, but, no, the Omaha Supernovas are making history today. So make sure you are a part of that. Tickets are still available. You can get them at the box office, or you can give them a call. Um, I will be at the match. Anna will be at the match. A lot of hurt at sports people will be probably at the like match. 15 of us. <laughs> <laughs> so come down, say hi, um, and uh, try to win some tickets on the show. Again, uh, you can vote on who's going to win trivia on the hurt at sports Instagram page. The poll will be on the story. Vote Andrew. Vote Shane. We will pick a winner at random, and you will win four free tickets to tonight's match. Now, speaking of history. Major League Baseball players made history yesterday. Three of them are now in the Hall of Fame. And you know what's funny? You get a lot of Major League Baseball Hall of Famers Mm -hmm. each year, and you're like, man, I don't really know that person. Like, at least us at our age. It's like, I know the name, but I, I, I never got to watch that person play. All three players that made it into the Hall of Fame are people from our generation. Yeah, I actually, I actually know these names. Adrian Beltre was the, the highest of the three to get in. Um, that percentage was 95.1%, uh, pretty close to unanimous. Uh, not really sure how many votes off that is, uh, but there is still only one unanimous Hall of Famer in history. Anna, who is it? Babe Ruth. No. <laughs> Shane, who is it? <laughs> Same team. I wasn't paying Mariano attention. Mariano Rivera. Mariano Rivera. Yes, yes, yes. That's the what I was going to say. unanimous baseball Zip Hall of Famer. Zip and Shane, no way. I want to play Shane in trivia, actually. <laughs> I didn't drop any trivia questions, <laughs> so we can't do that today. Well, a different day. Different, next week. Okay. Next week. No, wait, because Robbie's the king. You have to True. Be, have I know. To I got to I gotta dethrone um, Robbie. You can't, just, you can't just drop down to AAA because you want to. I just want to drop the gloves on Shane <laughs> right now. Adrian Beltre gets in with 95.1% of the votes. He had 366. Uh, the threshold is 75%. Todd Helton, 79.7%. And... Joe Maurer, 76.1%. Joe Maurer was incredible. I loved playing with him in video games. Um, but, uh, but, yeah, you know, it, it, Helton made it on his sixth attempt. Uh, Maurer and Beltre get in on their first attempt. Big Joe Maurer fan, Brian Christofferson. We Ooh. will talk to him uh, when, when we start the 8 o'clock hour. But three, these three guys, you know, isn't it incredible how – we look at the Hall of Famers for 2024, mm-hmm. 2023, 2024, and there are three guys that, that we got to, that we got to like, experience. Maybe we're just getting older. That's maybe, but the young versus the old perspective is interesting because, you know, the next, the next man on, in that grouping is Billy Wagner. And I don't remember when Billy Wagner played, but he was a, a pretty good relief pitcher. Um, da 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 Billy Wagner played till 2010. So he was kind of in that mix of 
you know, seven-time All-Star, um, a, a really good, a really good reliever. But he's not somebody that you know is as identifiable sure. as yeah. Todd Helton, Joe Mauer, know, yeah, a, a, a Adrian Beltre, Beltre, Joe Mauer. Uh, we got to watch Gary Sheffield. Uh, we got to watch Andrew Jones. You you kind of go down the list, mm-hmm. and yes, you're. You, well, maybe you are kind of right. <laughs> maybe, maybe as I look at all these names, I'm like, I do know these people. <laughs> We're old. Uh, we are kind of <laughs> getting to, to that old age. Wow. I know all of them pretty uh, much. Wow, way to make me feel like <laughs> I... Uh, you should feel even worse now. Make me feel like I'm not enough. Um, I don't even know if that's a song or if I just made it up in my head, but it, it happened. It happened right now. Well, <laughs> let's let's adjust. <laughs> let's let's move forward from that. How, let's talk about the winners and losers on the ballot because I think there um, there are a few that can be made. Now I mentioned Wagner. Wagner will most likely get in. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he he fell just short, and it, it's not hard to pick up a few percentage votes. But I think the big winner on this list is somebody that you know pretty well. Um, who? He started his career in Kansas City. Oh, um, Carlos Beltran. Carlos Beltran. He looked to be somewhat of a question mark when yeah. he first started uh, his Hall of Fame run. Um, but after receiving 57.1% of the votes, he's about as near of a lock as you can get. Yeah. Um, he still has eight more chances mm-hmm. to be enshrined. And for him to drop off more than increase would would. I, I don't know. That, I guess that would be pretty historic to see yeah, somebody Yeah, I don't, I don't think that would happen. Um, now, the sign-stealing scandal has been, you know, attached to his name a little bit, which, you know, the baseball writers love to attach things to people because I think the biggest loser on this list is Gary Sheffield because mm-hmm. um, now he's in Hall of Fame purgatory. Um, you know, his only chance of making it into the Hall of Fame now is a special selection committee uh, years from now. But when I talk about, you know, the baseball writers can really like attach just uh, detrimental things to to your name. Gary Sheffield popped up on the Mitchell report, or he was at least mentioned on the Mitchell report, but he was never suspended for PED use. And I think that's an important distinct, distinction, but it's it's not what's actually being talked about. It's just mm-hmm. like they found his name there, sure, and. That's a huge reason why he's not in the Hall of Fame. And I, I think that right there makes him one of the biggest losers of his 10th and final year on the ballot, yeah. falling short at 63.9%, because I don't think that should be the case. If he was actually, uh, if he actually failed a test, then yes, I can see why the old heads don't want him in. Now, granted, I think Barry Bonds should be in the Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. I think A-Rod. Go should off. be in the Hall of Fame. I Go think Roger off. Clemens should there, be. There's in always the got to be a fall guy, though. Yeah. In the Mitchell Report, I mean, you've had several far, fall guys in there. Yeah, and you know what? If that's the case, then that's the case. I can still think that these guys should be Hall of Famers. But for somebody that didn't actually fail a, tetch, right. a, a test, but was accused, that that is that is something that but needs think to about be a, a, a so-called distinction. When you're voting, though, that little minuscule detail would put somebody else over him. Like, every time. And I think that's probably what happened the ten times he's been on this ballot, that whoever's voting sees a name that is like, oh, these these guys are pretty even, but, oh, this guy might have, you know, had performance-enhancing drugs. Maybe didn't, maybe not, depending on whatever the the verdict was of of that list. But I still think that's – I think it's a supporting part to your point, though, about how writers and the media can – 
impact how people are viewed and I think the Hall of Fame relies so heavily on someone how how people remember somebody and obviously that's not a good thing to have attached to your name so it can be detrimental it sucks because now he's gonna have to get um, basically a special voting done for for him to be in the Hall of Fame and and have his name engraved in in that Hall of Fame forever so it's kind of it's kind of a negative thing to to have obviously attached to your name but it's it's a tough thing, I think, for voters to, to look at that and, and not put somebody else above him every time because of that small detail. So, okay, so you commit a crime, okay, or you're accused of committing a crime. Mm-hmm. You were at the scene, but you didn't actually commit the crime. Oh. You weren't a part of the crew that committed the crime. But okay. because you were near the scene at the time, some random person said, you did it. Do you think you should go to jail? <sighs> no. Right, but that's kind of like the— He's not the, going to jail. He's just not getting in the Hall No, of he's in Hall of Fame purgatory. <laughs> Right now he's in jail. If that's the worst jail, I'll I'll take the no, Hall of Fame purgatory. Anna, no, you cannot be you cannot agree with that. If he actually did it, if he did it, then I could understand your But do we case. know for sure if he did or didn't? No, so that's why So why was he on the list? See, again, you it, it's, it's an <laughs> Explain accusation. The list. Explain it's an the, accusation though. Who's Mitchell? <laughs> it's, it's the report. It's the report that comes out about this. So somebody accused him of doing it, but he never actually had a failed test. Oh, okay, that's dumb. Right. Yeah. Right. Like that's but like you still, that's like you. That's like you. Uh, but I can see why the writers wrote him off. Literally wrote him off because because of that detail. That's like you getting pulled over. Okay. And the cop says, you're drunk. Yeah. You take a breathalyzer test. It comes up with 0.0. Mm-hmm. And he still takes you in. Yeah. Because he, he, he claims he yeah, saw that you were impaired. That's not fair. Oh. Gary Sheffield should be, should, should, that should not be attached to his name. It, it just shouldn't be attached to his mm-hmm. name. If he did it, if there were facts, um, you know, a lot of decisions need to be based more off facts than opinions. Mm-hmm. Um, and in this case, Gary Sheffield got the shaft. <laughs> and I'm not even a Yankees fan. You're so passionate about this. I just I want everybody in the Hall of Fame. <laughs> these guys, uh, these guys uh, hitting home runs nonstop. I loved it. I loved it. Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. TK, innocent until proven guilty, apparently. True, (laughs) true. Um, We appreciate everybody in on the chat uh, Travis, the old head East Coast voters also fought against Larry Walker and Todd Hilton because, of course, the Coors effect. Uh, a- amen, amen. And uh, Daniel, imagine watching someone play their first college game. That's when you feel old. BC. <laughs> You're listening to Hurt at Sports Radio. Here is Husker 24-7 senior writer, Brian Christofferson. Yeah, it'll, it'll be a little bit of a circus act. Brian Christofferson. Well, I mean, that's that's pretty interesting. Brian Christofferson. <laughs> I, I kind of enjoy that. Here is Brian Christofferson. 
Top of the hour here on Herd at Sports Radio, 8 o'clock a.m. Good morning to all of you making your drive right now, listening on 590 ESPN Radio or ESPN Tri-Cities. If you're at home, work from home, or you're at the office watching us on YouTube or Twitter, we appreciate you there as well, and we appreciate Brian Christofferson joining us now, Husker247BC on Twitter, senior writer for Husker247BC. Good morning. Good morning. How you doing? Good, man. Good. Anna Bellinghausen here with us today. Ravi uh, uh, doing a, a, a few things, um, and he'll be back tomorrow. But the first thing that I want to bring up to you, I think congratulations are in order because uh, your good friend Joe Maurer is now a Hall of Famer. Yeah, good for Joseph. Um, <laughs> Joseph, you know, you know him well. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's that's a stern name I used for him when he struck out. But yeah, Joe, Joe is what we usually go by, and uh, well deserved. Um, I have a Mauer jersey in my closet. Uh, I was a real fanboy about him, so it was it was a good deal to see uh, first ballot too, Hall of Famer. You can't take that away. Now, what's your favorite Joe Mauer memory? Um, actually, it's not even a play within a game. Uh, it was like he was catching, and the ball. It was a it was a wild pitch behind him, and it hit like the limestone. You can find it on YouTube, and he doesn't even look back. He just puts his glove out. The ball bounces back off the backstop, and he I remember. catches it without even seeing it. Um, that's actually one of my favorite Mauer things. But uh, there, there's a few. He had a like a 15 at pitch at bat against Zach Greinke when Zach was in his prime, and. Uh, fouled off a bunch of pitches at a key moment and put one down the line. I mean, he, he was just the uh, quintessential hitter. So I think he struck out one time in high school. Um, so I would it'd be, it'd be pretty sweet to be that dude today who struck him out that you know for that one time and the, the stories you're telling around the office. But uh, uh, yeah, Joe was uh, he was a Minnesota boy and uh, definitely a favorite of mine. BC, um, before we get into uh, some Husker basketball and Husker football talk, I want to ask one more thing about the Hall of Fame. Sure, as big of a baseball fan as I am, um, would you say the biggest loser on this Hall of Fame uh, list is Gary Sheffield? Yeah, might be. You know, I probably don't follow it as close as you do, Andrew. I'll admit that. Like, I'm I'm not one of those people who track the votes and like uh, this guy's got to get in this year and, and that. I I respect those who do. I just I haven't spent a lot of time with it. Um, Sheffield. That's the only thing I can say about him. I always say is he had the scariest bat waggle I've ever seen. Uh, he did <laughs> like. When he was uh, in the box, especially in the playoffs, he has like one of those stances where you assumed he was going to crush the ball 500 feet and just like rip your soul out. So um, on that alone, I, I might give him my vote just for how much fear he put into me uh, for, for a select number of years when the Twins would play him in the playoffs. You know, I just I was telling Anna, it, the Mitchell report is is like the big reason why I think Sheffield is kept out uh, of voters' minds because of his name popping up, but he never had a failed test. So um, he was in his 10th and final year of eligibility, did not get in. Now he's in Hall of Fame purgatory and needs a special committee to get him in. So I just uh, – I shake my head at, at how people uh, associate PEDs with his name without having a failed test. Well, um, 
you uh, you should lead that charge, and I'll maybe I'll fall in line with you. Yeah, maybe you should just start a petition. My man. I know, I know his son. Yeah. I think it's his son, Gary Sheffield Jr. It would shock me if that's not his son. Um, he, he's very uh, emphatic about <laughs> uh, this point for okay. his dad on Twitter, so uh, that wouldn't shock me. Okay, let's get into some Husker basketball talk, BC. Uh, a big win for the boys at home. Uh, no surprise there that they won at home. Now it's, uh, now it's about winning on the road. Um, what about this performance do you think can spark momentum for them when they they do go on the road against Maryland? Well, you know what's impressive is um, I, w- I wouldn't say it was like a season on the brink. I wouldn't use those words, but like five days ago, um, you know, they're three and four in the league. Joan Gary's injured. You don't know how long that was going to be. And you're playing two solid teams in Northwestern and Ohio State at home. And yes, Nebraska's been good at the vault but those are still tests every every game in this league is um and to do it shorthanded without gary um i think has to build a lot of confidence i i feel like in the if this season goes how people hope it to go and they end up in march uh in the brackets um i think the 24 to 48 hours after the rutgers loss which was seemed like it was incredibly deflating at the time um, are going to be uh, is going to be a time to pinpoint. Um, you know, that's when they guys found out. Okay, it's not as bad with Gary. He's not out for the season. Uh, they sucked it up on sort of a short notice after getting home late after that overtime loss. Played good ball against Northwestern, good enough to win. And then l- last night, I mean, rink mass. My goodness, it was just uh, an incredible show. Um, you know, it got to that point where it's like, okay, just shoot at rink. We want to see if you can, you know heat check time let's see if you make another one so six of eight for him from three-point range 34 points career high got the double double which the crowd appreciated when he got that 10th board with about three minutes left um i would not have guessed they would have won going away uh by 14 points against ohio state i know the buckeyes have struggled on the road they haven't won on the road in the big 10 since like january 1st of last year uh, but nonetheless, they had better metrics in the net and in uh, um, Ken Palm than Nebraska did going into that game. So it's a really nice win from that uh, standpoint. And now um, I think they're a determined group to go get one on the road. They know how big a deal that is um, to kind of break through there. And I like that in the post game last night, Rink was asked a question about what the night meant to him, and he turned it into – Let's go win on the road. That, he, he ended up making that what the quote was about. So that's where their mind has got to be today. And I, I think uh, they've learned some lessons that they have to turn the page fast. Brian, right now, if you're a Nebraska fan looking at the schedule, 11 games left, do these all, maybe an exception to a couple, feel like must wins for a good position to set yourself up for March? Well, the way I look at it, is I put the schedule up in front of me to remind me. And so they've when they, if they can get to February 10th <laughs> with their head above water, um, after February 10th, um, they play Michigan at home. And of course, everybody knows Michigan is really scuffling, which I don't think Jawan Howard's going to make it out of this year or, you know, at, in the next year. Uh, they play Michigan at home, Penn State at home, 
they still uh, get Minnesota at home and they get Rutgers at home. And they actually play Michigan twice um, in those last seven games. So that's after February 10th. So if they can get to that point uh, where they're still like a game above 500 like they are now, I think they're sitting pretty. Um, this is a tough part of the schedule, and that's why last night was crucial to put the head above the water of the 500 mark because you go on the road to Maryland, it's a winnable game, but it's a road game, and we know Nebraska's troubles there. Then you've got Wisconsin coming here, and Wisconsin, I would, you know, they're as good as, in, as anybody in the league, right up there with Purdue. And then you go to Illinois, and then you got to go to Northwestern. So they have this four-game stretch of Maryland, Wisconsin, Illinois, Northwestern ahead. Um, and if they could uh, break even in that four-game stretch, um, I'd feel really good about where they're at, um, you know, as we get into February. So last night, I felt, was huge in that respect because it lifts spirits where, you're okay, you're back above 500 in the league, and, um, you know, now you're – you're going on the road, not with house money, but, you know, if, if they do slip up on Saturday against Maryland, at least it's not like you're four and six in the league. And then it feels like you're really trying to climb uphill uh, with your feet in the mud. So um, last night was really big from that standpoint. BC, as you kind of reflect on more of those takeaways uh, without Juwan Gary's presence out there, who did you like? seen whether it was off the bench or in the starting lineup step up to sort of kind of replace Gary in that way yeah um I wouldn't say he'd like replace Gary specifically but CJ Wiltshire man I mean he's he's got to be like one of the stories for this team this year if especially if they can keep it going and get to a bracket um, 16 points last night. I thought he hit the two biggest shots of the game. Ohio State sort of had momentum um, and had cut it to 46-43. Wilcher comes in off the bench, uh, a role that he has accepted selflessly and uh, just embraced it, and he hits a corner three off the inbounds pass. And like a minute later, he does the exact same thing in the same spot. And it was a nine-point game, and Nebraska sort of then just had Ohio State at arm's length or more the rest of the way, especially thanks to Rink Massett and everything he took. So uh, CJ is a guy who he's had ups and downs in previous years. He's probably one of those guys, frankly, like a year ago when the season was ending, some people wondered, okay, is he going to be part of the roster still or are they going to restructure it? Is he not going to be here? And um, he's just balling out when he gets the chance. And um, he's a great teammate. And, um, you know, I think he has a lot of positivity in that locker room, too. So everything about C.J. Wilcher has been good for this team this year. And last night, he was a big reason they won that game and won it the way they did. Mast, obviously, is the headliner of that one. But uh, C.J. was right right, uh, in line with that, with some of the shots he made. BC, is it March Madness or bust for this Nebraska team, especially in terms of Fred Hoiberg and his job security at Nebraska? I don't know that I'd look at it that way. I understand why people ask that, though, because it's, you know, he, he's been around a bit. The, the reason why I don't see it quite like that, though, is I feel like two years ago, he restructured how he was going to do things. He, you know, he, he shuffled his staff. 
Um, there were some key assistant coaches moves there. And I think with that, you saw how they kind of changed their roster and how they were going to pursue putting a team together. And they've went out since then. And I mean, last year's team sort of set the tone with this when he got Sam Grissel and Emmanuel Bandamel and, um, you know, some of those guys who'd been around a while in college basketball and they had this veteran poise about them um, that sort of brought a maturity and lifted up the program. And I think you're seeing that again this year uh, with guys like Bryce Williams and Rink Mast. And so to back to your question, I think it's, <laughs> I mean, some people won't accept this, but I, I think Trev Alberts kind of sees it this way when I hear him talk about basketball. He knows there was a reset that was done, and we're sort of in the second year of the reset. And so I'm not saying it's year two of Hoiberg era. Let's like take the the one they have in Men in Black and pretend like the first few years didn't happen. They obviously did, but I do think there's an understanding that, um, especially by people who matter, that they they shifted their way of thinking and it seems to be working. And so right now, um, I, I'd sort of be surprised if they busted it up no matter what because I kind of think they feel like they've figured out a formula now it's just a matter of keep working on it until you get where you want to be bc i was in talks with a listener yesterday and um you know it's funny because you 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 see dylan rayola at the basketball game you see where he's sitting you see where he was moved to you know he's sitting next to john cook and um you know he, he asked me he goes you know how do his teammates how do you think his teammates feel about uh, the way that Dylan Rayola is um, looked at, right? Like, because he, he, you know, yeah. he comes in, he's the anointed one. He hasn't done anything yet. Uh, but if everything goes, you know, to plan, you know, it, it, and the expectation is hit, it's like great, good things. But if not, then you know, Lord help us. How, you know, you've been covering recruiting for a long period of time. Not only have you probably never seen a response like this from a recruit, but how do you kind of answer that question if it's asked to you? Like, how do, how do, how do the rest of his teammates feel about the, the way he is, is being treated? I don't think they mind it if he's that guy starting in the last week or so when they've started winter conditioning that is – front of the line and stuff and you know what i mean with that you know the guy who like you, you say they're out there pushing the sled in the snow or whatever they're doing he's sort of leading by example he's that guy who um people are feeding off of and is putting in as much work as anybody and i think that is his way uh he's got to obviously prove it to his teammates behind the walls that actually see it um and if, if he does that i think it's fine because i i these guys are smart enough to know that um, the way the quarterback situation is set up, he probably is the guy right now at that position. And also, they they know that it's important for recruiting for the future, too, and that it was important even for like those portal receivers like Jamal Banks. I've never had that, Andrew, in my life covering a, the team where um, a guy like Jamal Banks, who played at Wake Forest and been in college for like four or five years, is talking before the visit about one of his reasons of intrigue is Dylan Ryla. Like, that's one of the things I want to see about my visit. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, so you got the 23-year-old talking about the, the 18-year-old coming out of high school there. And it's just like, I've never had that quote given to me before. And so that is different. Um, but from what Jamal said after his visit, 
um, you know, Dylan lived up to it. Like the way he went about his business when they threw together and the, just his technique and all that stuff. And you, he could tell the care he puts into it every day. So if he does that in front of his peers now in winter conditioning with all the other stuff, um, I think all the fanfare won't bother people. Now, if it looks like some of those guys who are big-time recruits are slacking when they get here or whatever, I'm sure there'll be some people who want to put them in check, and hopefully they respond correctly. But um, it's a good question you ask, though. You've got to put in the work um, when you get here um, to, to make the people around you who matter the most who you're going to be out there with when it's on the line, believe in you. And so hopefully that's happening here in the months ahead. Well, I won't take too much question for the question uh, or credit for the question because uh, it was asked to me. But uh, uh, I, I will give credit where credit's due. That, that listener is uh, Thomas, who is avidly in our chat uh, that was wondering that. But uh, speaking of Ray Ola and uh, the weekend that he had at the Polynesian Bowl, how impressed were you with his play, with like Carter Nelson's play, and, and even you know maybe another guy, Preston Talamua, his play at the yeah. Polynesian Bowl? I thought they all did pretty good. You know, I thought Carter Nelson probably showed the most to me in the All-Star games because he that was his second one. And, of course, the question with Carter was like, okay, this you know, this guy played eight-man football. What's it going to look like against the top recruits in the country? Um, and he looked every bit his ranking. You know, like he was – it wasn't just the games. Like we have people on the ground for our site, you know, at 24-7 Sports who cover the practices – and uh, he was getting open all week at the Polynesian Bowl and seemed to have a really good rapport with uh, Ryola. So you saw that on occasion within the game. I thought the one that Ryola dropped into him was a, for about 30-some yards was a real pretty pass, but I also thought it got the imaginations of Husker fans dancing a little bit on that play where Ryola took like a, it was a run-pass option down the line and then he just flipped it to the sideline and Carter Nelson barreled for like 11 yards that – it just looked like a play you could see in October, and I think it got people really excited. And um, Carter Nelson um, is a really exciting prospect because if you'll remember on early signing day probably, Rule was talking about how this defense in his mind at Nebraska is sort of positionless in the way they operate, and they want the offense to be more like that. And he used Carter Nelson – um, as an example of that, you can, you can put all over the field. And when you watch him out there in a game, even like that all-star deal, you're, you're kind of like, okay, I see that. Like, he really could line that guy up all over the place. I thought Dylan played uh, fine. It was, of course, choppy because you've only worked with guys four days. I don't know exactly what happened on the pick, if the receiver ran the wrong route or it slipped out of Dylan's hand or what it was. But I thought in the second half it, it got better. And you, of, of the quarterbacks on his team, um, he was by far the best. And that's not a small thing because those other QBs were big-time prospects too. So I think you saw a gap between him and other uh, QBs who are supposedly elite. So that, that was, uh, I think, promising. BC, in your mind, how mature of a quarterback does DR look right now for his age? I mean, you see some passes over the middle, stepping up in the pocket, maybe not as much of a, a dual threat necessarily, but more of that traditional quarterback and, and some maturity that at least I saw in the film. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, I, I mean, he just has like the throws that other guys don't have and the way he uh, – I mean, even the touchdown pass he had, 
Um, it was to Mike Matthews, who's a big-time player who's going to Tennessee, and so he's going to make a QB look good. But um, it was about a 40-yard touchdown, and, but it was a rope from Ryola of about 20 yards downfield, and I think he made a throw that wasn't necessarily easy look easy. And that pass he had to Carter Nelson, um, actually pretty good coverage on the play, sort of had to drop it in a bucket to make it a completion, and he put it right where it had to be. And there was another two kick plays I thought that probably should have been catches, including a touchdown, where he he did what was asked of him on the throw. And so um, sort of as you went through that All-Star game and you saw he, he – I do think he showcased like four or five different types of throws he'd have to make, and he showed he could make them pretty well. And uh, that part's exciting. And um, I think the other part is, you know, the people watched him all week just that I, I think they feel pretty good about him. Like uh, the people evaluate him and watch him uh, constantly, believe in his arm strength and the way he can stretch the field and all that. But I also think he's going to uh, really pick up Nebraska's passing potential in that like uh, intermediate range, you know, like Nebraska's got to be a threat. 10 to 20 yards down the field like it wasn't last year, and, and hopefully we see a little bit more of that now. BC, one more, and then we'll let you go. In terms of recruiting and knowing that coaches are out on the road, who would you say are your top three names to know more about at this point on Nebraska's watch list? Oh, man, that's a good question. I'll go through I'll, – I'll, I'll use that answer to kind of go through uh, – the, the weekend that was because they obviously had the junior day sure and uh because uh, those those are the guys are the answers in a lot of cases like i mean i i think it's fascinating that like isaiah mosey is a is the wide receiver he's at a lee summit missouri really good and he's like the n- number one prospect in that state 87 overall and he was in town this last weekend and he was here last year as well but he, he, we get the, I get this question all the time, like, okay, what's the Ryle effect going to be with recruits? Well, I think that Ryle effect translates with a guy like Isaiah Mosey because um, Mosey was here last year when there was Ryle buzz before he originally picked Georgia, and now he's back again, and he's sort of talking about um, n- not just Ryle, but that's a part of his answer when he when he talks about his visit, and so. I think, you know, if you could get a guy like that, um, you know, or be one of the finalists for him, top player in Missouri, uh, that would be huge. His dad's also a coach down there, so it's like a big, it would be a nice network to have. Um, you know, locally, obviously, Christian Jones, um, you know, I think from West Side is going to be huge, and I like Nebraska's chances a lot. Uh, the other one that I'd mention is uh, – Another receiver from from Florida, Cortez Mills, who's a top two, you know twenty four seven receiver, and he was here and he loved the plan they had for him. And another guy who I think is excited about Ryla. So those are the guys I just named. There, there's more, but um, I, they had a really good weekend uh, on that end of it. You know, I think getting guys uh, further intrigued. That's Brian Christofferson, senior writer for Husker twenty four seven at Husker twenty four seven BC on Twitter. BC, we appreciate it. Thanks so much. Yeah, thanks for having me. Brian Christofferson once again. Kevin Suits up next, sports director at 1011 News, at Kevin Suits on Twitter. I want to get his perspective on something. He's, a, uh, he's somebody that can latch on to a ton of different things. We'll do that next with Kevin Suits here on Herd at Sports Radio.
You're listening to Hurt at Sports Radio. Hey, welcome back to the show. Heard at Sports Radio on, on ESPN Radio, ESPN 590, ESPN Tri-Cities. We are happy to have you with us, and we are happy to be joined by our next guest, Kevin Suits. Kevin is the sports director at 1011 now, and uh, we'll get him patched through here in a hot sec. Before we get to Kevin, I want to take a moment and tell you about Dyer Law. If you have a personal injury claim, you can count on the Dyer Law team to provide you with the helping hand when you need it. 402-393-7529. Visit Dyer.Law to chat with a trusted professional about your personal injury claim. That's Dyer, D-Y-E-R dot law. I may have some personal injury from walking in today, smack on the pavement. It was a little slick and you couldn't see it. Uh, now, driving in, it was like, eh, seems a little slippery out here. I took two steps out of my car. I have zero traction on the shoes I'm wearing mm. right now, Anna, and I smacked the pavement, and the left hand took some damage. The lower back took some damage, and, um, you know, I, I, I'm really feeling it. It woke you up this morning, though. It did, I, I guess. Just like Shane woke up Kevin Suits just now with a phone call. Kevin, good morning. Good morning. Andrew, are you okay? I'm concerned about you, buddy. You know what? I appreciate you, Kevin, because Anna's first thought is, hey, I hope you hurt yourself. Hey, no. When and, I walked in, I said, how are is, you? Hey, man, I really hope you're okay. <laughs> well, I, I hope that everything's all right. You know, we can't start off the day like this. You don't want to climb uphill on a Wednesday. Come on now. <laughs> hey. I, I'm hoping you're okay. Speaking of starting things off with, like, something that is, is fitting – did, please tell me you started your sports cast because I don't get the, the Lincoln sports cast. I only get the Omaha ones. Uh, speak. Please tell me you started it off with Master of Puppets last night for Rink Mast. Oh, man. We could have done about 100 different options. You got Master <laughs> of Puppets. Uh, you got um, Master Class. Mm, what I did for the, the, video, the video leading into the sports cast was I used master of ceremony oh so, good for you uh, the creative juices was flowing just a little bit uh it's one of those it's too easy to not go there so um we had to and, and you know us uh, king of the dad jokes we have to we have to stretch the worst joke possible and uh and and go the distance with it i used masterful performance this morning that works that works and you know what if they keep on winning you might need to rank them. <laughs> oh. Hey, speaking of ranking things, uh, <laughs> you, you, you released your AP poll like you do every week. Um, and Anna and I were just kind of talking during the break. And she goes, I wonder how hard it is for Kevin to, like, you know, fluctuate his rankings. And I'm like, yeah, it must, it must be pretty difficult when you only have, like, two really good teams uh, in UConn and Purdue as, as quote-unquote dominant teams, if you'll label them as that. And then everybody else is like, well, this team could be three or they could be nine. The movement this year in between, like, between rankings five and 12 has been ridiculous because – yeah, even even last night, you know, Oklahoma, they're playing at home. They lose to Texas. We've, Kentucky loses last night after a really nice win over the weekend. So it's the teams that are not in the top two. Uh, every week you're like, I, I think this is the team that's going to be there to stay. And then they'll suffer a loss, and it's been really challenging. I think last year, though, conditioned all the pollsters 
because if you remember last year, every week there were multiple, I, I mean, we're talking like 15 of the 25 ranked teams were losing on a weekly basis and it was really challenging. Um, so this year ranking has not been as difficult, but it's still like, let, let's not forget that fact that a lot of ranked teams are losing pretty regularly and kind of at an uncommon rate. There's great parity uh, across college basketball. And I think, you know, the cream always rises to the top, right? And that's what you're starting to see uh, beyond the UConn and Purdue situation right now with them being one and two. I, I think you're, gonna, you're starting to see that Houston is pretty good. And LJ Cryer is one of the best players in college basketball. I think they're going to be near the top for the long haul of this season. And North Carolina has certainly put themselves in that mix right now, too. Yeah, Kevin, uh, do you feel like you can do anything right as an AP voter? <laughs> as long as you stay away from the fans of Providence, yes. <laughs> uh, that's the ones that if, if you don't have them in the poll and they think they're in, uh, look out because they are very vocal on social media. So, I, I don't know. You just, you just fill out the poll. You go off of what you think. They don't want everybody to have the same poll. That's the thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, once the poll releases every Monday, I really enjoy going back and looking at everybody else's ballot um, just to see who puts teams where because we all have different perspectives. Uh, sometimes we, like for myself, I have better knowledge of some of the regional teams. And as hard as I try to stay in touch with what's happening on the East Coast and the West Coast, I don't see those teams firsthand um, as some of the pollsters do out there. Kevin, um, I was in Vegas this past weekend, and, um, you know, I love being with the group that I was with, uh, friends, family, uh, but I I love being with that group because I got to hear so many different perspectives at different times of things that we were watching. So, uh, for example, one of the conversations was the Caitlin Clark, um, you know, tackle. And, you know, it, it provided some interesting thought because you have a lot of people in the group that are just not sports fans. You have some that fan to fan and you have some like me that, you know, look at every perspective whenever um, a situation like that happens. It's, it's not a react. I don't I don't respond to react. I I react with with a well thought out something or other. And, you know, some said they should ban rushing the court because the most popular player in college basketball was at the height of the conversation. Uh, but I took more of the reasonable approach saying, well, that's pretty much impossible. You're not going to stop 500 to 2000 fans, depending on the venue, running the court or, or rushing the court with only like like six security guards down trying trying to, to keep them up into the seats. Um, and, you know, I, I wanted to ask you this because you're somebody that can provide a pretty good perspective uh, too because, you know, you're down on the court often and you've been a part of a court rushing once before, even this season. How do you think the NCAA finds a solution for instances like this? Because if it wasn't Caitlin Clark, this wouldn't be talked about, for one. And two, would you say it's like, you know, maybe it's an alternate tunnel that you'd have them run out um, and, and get off the floor? Is it you wait on the bench until most of the students are in the middle of the floor uh, for a path to clear? What do you think can be done to avoid instances like this again? Well, it's really come to a head because it was Caitlin Clark. Of all the players to have an incident, it was the superstar of all superstars in women's basketball. And additionally, Purdue's coach Matt Painter said earlier this season that something's going to happen. So he predicted a student 
health welfare situation that could potentially go wrong. So those two things have really brought the discussion to light. But a lot of the complaints about court storming is about what? The winning team and the winning team's fan base. Why don't we put, instead of focus on them, because I'm not the no fun police. I want college basketball to be fun. I love the images afterwards. And, you know, that's a moment that those fans that were at Pinnacle Bank Arena when Nebraska beat Purdue, that they are going to remember forever. I don't want that to be taken away from the game. So I think the training should actually go on the team that is going to lose because more times than not, the team knows that the court is going to be rushed. So if you're one, two, three, four, five, and you're losing by, you know, five to 10 to 15 on an opposing team's floor, you know, they're coming. So I think there might need to be some training to a team that when that moment arises, that they know how to escape the court. You don't need to do handshakes. You don't need to go to the middle because that's where everybody's heading. Maybe that they just there needs to be an awareness for the team that's going to lose of how to get out of the situation. And a lot of times, the the ball's being dribbled out. In right. the case of Nebraska Purdue, the, it's not like the game came down to the final possession. So Purdue players could have all gravitated towards their bench and basically just exited the court. I don't think anybody is going to take exception with them doing that, knowing the students are coming and the fans are coming and not doing the handshake line. Can't we all just agree that the handshakes don't need to occur when a court storming is going to happen? Because even if you try for them, it's going to, you're now putting everybody in the same spot. We don't need to do that. I think that there are ways to modify the in-game scenario to still allow court stormings to occur. That's Kevin Suits. Great perspective. Uh, Kevin, we appreciate your time. Enjoy the rest of today. Stay safe if you are driving out on the roads. They are pretty slick. I don't know if it's going to warm up at all today. Um, but if you take a spill like me, know that I warned you. Just remember, bend the knees, shuffle the feet. <laughs> <laughs> My man, Kevin Suits. Appreciate your time. Thanks so much, man. Thank you, guys. That's Kevin Suits, Sports Director at 1011 now, at Kevin Suits on Twitter. Okay, when we come back, let's keep the conversation of perspectives going because Anna's a part of a group where her sports mind is cream of the crop. And, you know, you surround yourself with a lot of different people with different perspectives. And I, I'm, I'm curious to know maybe what some of them have to say at different points in time. We'll get to that next on Herd at Sports Radio. You're listening to Hurt at Sports Radio. Welcome back to Hurt at Sports Radio here on 590 ESPN Omaha, ESPN Tri-Cities. In about 15 minutes, we'll be on KFOR in Lincoln. Happy to have you with us. Happy to see everybody interacting on the social channels as well. All of you in the YouTube comments, we appreciate your thoughts and opinions. And you know... The outside world's thoughts and opinions are really important to me because it provides so many different perspectives on uh, sports conversations, uh, games, other topics. And, you know, it, it's fun talking through a lot of different situations because, you know, I used to really fan to fan before I got uh, knee deep into um, 
looking at the bigger picture of everything. Um, so in my role today, like that's what I have to do. Now, sometimes I'll really fan because uh, I, I get passionate about, you know, certain topics. But other times I, I really sit back and look at the bigger picture and people are kind of like taken back by mm-hmm. that because I don't have the same opinion as them when they think I should. And I love that because, you know, you have some people that really fan to fan. You have some that just don't really know anything of what they're talking about, but try to, you know, have an opinion on it. And then you have some like us that look at the whole picture. And it had me uh, laughing last night because I'm thinking about all this stuff. And Anna's in a friend group and I know the stories. So that's why I can talk about these things. She's in a friend group where she is the brain of mm-hmm. the operation, oh, of, yeah. the, of the sports operation. Um, and a lot of her friends are funny because, you know, some of them, some of them try, like you guys play fantasy football and they try mm-hmm. to, to mm-hmm. be involved. And I know some are fans of teams and things like that, uh, but there aren't many bigger picture uh, lookers like, like you. And, you know, you were, you were kind of talking about some of the things and, and some of the mannerisms that they have and, you know, watching, let's just, let's just take the playoff games, for example. Uh, what, what sort of stories do you have of different perspectives of somebody in your friend group uh, that, that provides a perspective that you're just <laughs> like, you laugh at, but then you're like, oh, I could actually kind of see that. Or like they really fan and they fan hard and you're like, guys, take a step back. It, it is funny because I, like you said, Andrew, come from a friend group of a lot of girls that don't pay attention to sports like I do and I don't think a lot of people pay attention to sports like both of us do like we're very um high up in in knowledge of sports and um not from a fan perspective but rather a journalism perspective which is different obviously we're fans of certain teams but we're not using that in bias to create our opinions a lot especially when we um you know talk on the radio and and do whatever we're doing so it's funny when you take yourself out of that and just talk to someone that either doesn't really know sports or maybe is a fan of a couple teams but doesn't follow it like we do and it kind of makes me sit back and just think about how funny sports are sometimes and they kind of just humble me in ways of like you know we're all just playing a game like at the end of the day these are grown men running out on the field hitting each other in pads like at the end of the day it's it's just a game and it's not as as serious as we take it but I mean man there's so many funny stories of just uh people asking me me questions that I'd be like why are you guys asking that like that should be a, a known thing but I think to some people they just look at it and they're like oh like why why would a team do that why would they call a timeout they're like I don't understand but you know we have a, a deeper understanding of things but I think some of my favorite stories probably come from our, our fantasy football league so we we have a 16 person league which is ridiculous by the way never do that um yeah after the fourth round you're starting right. to pick Trey Palmer I, exactly so we have <laughs> yeah and it's funny because we have a lot of Husker fans in our group I think he was picked in the second or third round too yeah so it's like uh, guys guys he only he only woke up ticked off four times this yeah year. <laughs> not that many touchdowns but um I think that that fantasy football league puts it puts it in perspective for me and um I don't know just just the the funny things that they say really humble me of like okay this is just a game and I can't take myself as seriously because they're like just kind of making fun of me sometimes of, of how passionate I am about sports when at the end of the day it is a game um one of my favorite stories, though, happened recently, and uh, it was the Bills versus, Chief, Bills versus Chiefs game, and my friend Katie was live betting, because you can do that in Arizona. Mm-hmm. That's where she lives, and she literally hit, like, three or four in a row, and all these guys who are probably the biggest Chiefs fans, fan nuts, are, like, 
there's no way any of these are hitting. Like, you're just picking random things, turnover, whatever. So it was um, the Bills, it was fourth down and five, I think, and they went, uh, they did a fake punt. Mm -hmm. And Katie picked turnover, and all the guys were like, oh, it's going to be a punt. Katie, you're wrong. And then what do you know? DeMar Hamlin tries to convert the fourth down, doesn't make it. It's a turnover on downs. Katie looks like a genius who, who barely pays attention to sports, but doesn't matter because I think it just like humbles you in the fact that like nobody really knows anything at the end of the day. Like I think we all need to be humbled as sports media people. And my friends do that to me every day. So it's, it's funny that you say that. Um, and well, first, I guess, speaking of sports betting, you can do that here in Omaha. Oh, yeah. You can do that in Lincoln mm-hmm. using. Just uh, not on your phone, right? Yeah, correct. You have okay. to go to Warhorse Casino. Uh, you have to go to the Warhorse Casino Sportsbooks to place your bets. And, uh, you know, in connection to the NFL and the big game, their Festival of Games is taking place. And you can get involved in Festival of Games by going to the Warhorse or warhorsecasino.com and uh, you can you know, follow the prompts to get to the Festival of Games uh, promotion. And when those props come out, you can pick the 25, you can win prizes, um, and you have to make sure to validate those uh, those slips that you create, though. So every $50 in sports betting gets you an extra chance in, at the Festival of Games promotion. Uh, but everybody does get one if you go to the casino and also validate that. And you do that by going to the Warhorse Casino Sportsbook in Lincoln. Uh, but aside from that, you know, when we were in Vegas at the Sportsbook and we were having the Caitlin Clark conversation, that's kind of what I wanted to fall back on. You know, you had some people that were like, she ran into the fan. Mm-hmm. Not the fan ran into Caitlin Clark. She ran into the fan. You had some that were saying they're gonna fan, they're gonna ban fans from running onto the floor after a win. And you know we got Kevin Suits' perspective in the last segment, but my perspective was this: uh, for one, I said, you know, if this happened to anybody else other than Caitlin Clark, it wouldn't be a topic of conversation. Mm-hmm. It just wouldn't. If it was a random player from New Hampshire that got hit, like it, it would be shown, but it wouldn't. Articles wouldn't be written about that it's because it's the most popular college athlete that's why these these things are taking place and the other point was was this you can't you can't stop fans from running the rushing the court but what people need to realize is after a loss especially and a loss in that fashion too because it was overtime and yes it was I think it was eight points um and and maybe Iowa could have ran off the court sooner it could have been a situation of hey you don't shake hands it's 13 seconds left I didn't really watch the ending I saw the video afterward um say there's 13 seconds left how, how about Iowa just leaves the court then mm-hmm. like just run into your tunnel while the game clock is still on then when the buzzer sounds, fans can run onto the floor. Sure. That was one option if you have extended time and you're not going to foul and it goes down to the final whistle. But the other point was, I, I asked people, did, did you ever lose a game? Like, at any point in your life, did you ever lose a game? And the answer was yes. And so my follow-up to that was, when you lost a game and you were on an opponent, opponent's court or, or field, did you have your head up or down? Your head was down. Anytime your head down and you just know where to go, you're running toward the tunnel. If you watch that video back, Caitlin Clark's head's down. So it's not like she did that and then did her, um, her theatrical performance mm-hmm. and uh, hit the deck. Like, she's not going to do that on purpose. Yeah. Um, so, like, it, it's just interesting, though, how, like, quick reactions aren't, aren't typically the best reaction. Mm-hmm. And um, 
but I love being a part of groups uh, like my my sports friend group because you have all these different takes, mm-hmm. and some of them can be really good, but some of them are like, wait a second, like. Let, let's look at the whole picture here. Sure. Let's, let's look at the whole idea. Amazing Daniel on on um, YouTube says he's got an over posi- overly positive dude in my group who wants to uplift everyone. Never roots against anybody. That's it's no fun. That's no fun. Totally get it. Totally get it. Hey, by the way, how does uh, how does the that person not know that she hit somebody and saw the person fall on the on the on the court and not come back and try and help them or not know that you hit the most popular player in so, the whole in entire United when, States when and then you just run to the middle of the floor? Right. Well, it, the best uh, the best uh, response I have to that or the, answer, the best answer I could probably give you there is she knows she did something wrong, but she wants to elude versus uh, care. Um, and that's, that's and so like it, it's kind of like point. separating yourself from the situation. Like, um, if you, also if you she some, wasn't gonna help, like. right? But if you do something like where you're not even supposed to be there in the first place, yeah. right? And then you found out that you knocked down a player. Um, she, I, I would guess I, it looked like the fan sort of froze mm-hmm. and then was like, I'm just gonna like step out, out of the, the way, way yeah. and, and do that. But you're right, you know, some people would instantly be like, oh shoot. But if she goes over there, then what? She gets a mouth chewing. And, yeah. and do you really want to, you know, get chewed out for, for what you just did? No, she's probably, like, going to try to kind of escape sh- into the crowd and then just, like, disappear. But it's like it was in the mi- – I mean, there wasn't really anybody around. And you know, you, you got to know that if you're going to do that, you're going to be on – you're going to be on – you're gonna be on tape. You're gonna be on video. You're mm-hmm. that's whatever but, uh, it is. Like I said, like I but said, it's not it, like she assaulted her. Right. Like, it, it was an accident. It was. You know, she should have said sorry. They, I'm sure she yeah, has. They, they really just ran into each other. And look, Caitlin Clark too said she likes fans rushing the floor. Mm-hmm. The floor. Like she likes that aspect of the game. Um, it's just more of policing that. Yeah. And trying to find the best way to keep players and fans from making contact. I with think one people another. are gonna be more aware than ever before now because. Not like it's a good thing that it happened to Caitlin Clark, but I think it's a good thing that it got so much attention. And I think the security has to be more aware, fans have to be more aware, and players will be too. Perspectives. Just looking at everybody's perspective. Uh, it's fun. It's really fun to think about. We talked a lot about the Justin Fields, Caleb Williams, mm-hmm. Caleb Williams potential draft or trade, trade the pick a lot over the weekend too. And hearing everybody's take, I'm just like, eh. That's, that's the best part about sports, everybody's opinion. And nobody's right. <laughs> <laughs> Most of the time. Most of the time, nobody's right. All right, uh, let's change gears. Uh, let's, let's talk a little NFL when we come back. Brett Sebleski, NFL analyst for Bleacher Report. He'll join the show next on Herd at Sports Radio. Welcome to Herd at Sports Radio. High formation, toss to McCaffrey. Big hole, and he runs out across the 30, breaks a tackle, he's gone. Touchdown! C-M-C! Baker leans in, there's the snap, blitz comes, Mayfield back, loads, throws, picked up by the Lions! Intercepted by the Lions! Intercepted by the Lions! Derek Barnes! Derek Barnes! Derek Barnes! Welcome back to Herd at Sports Radio here 
on ESPN 590, ESPN Tri-Cities. Anna Bellinghouse and Andrew Rogers. Uh, in those NFL games, NFL highlights, there were no substitutions made, but coaches make substitutions during the game to get the best player on the field. Getting behind the wheel after drinking also demands a substitution. Impaired driving is deceptively dangerous. This message from the NDOT Highway Safety Office. Uh, speaking of the NFL, let's... Uh, Let's talk with a, one of our good friends of the show, Brett Soboleski, NFL analyst for Bleacher Report, at Brent Soboleski on Twitter. Uh, Brent, good morning. Good morning. What do you guys want to talk about? we got so much going on in the NFL <laughs> right now. We do, we do. And uh, you know what? I, I guess let's start out with, uh, with the two teams that are – well, let's do the AFC because I think that's the marquee matchup right now. So – you look at the Ravens, you look at the Chiefs. You know, Mahomes is that dude that, you know, I think he's taken over the tag of you don't want to bet against him. However, yeah. this year's Ravens team is by far the best team in the AFC. Is this one of those exceptions where you would bet against Mahomes? Well, since I have the pleasure of, of making my picks each week for Bleacher Report when it comes to betting favorites, no, I am not betting against Patrick <laughs> Mahomes. <laughs> so I'm just put, throwing that out there before those uh, selections come out in the next day or so on, on the website. Look, it's not just about Mahomes, but yes. And I love the analogy we've been hearing recently about Mahomes being the Jordan to Josh Allen's Carl Malone. I think that's a wonderful way to frame the way the NFL is now. You can literally have the second best player in the NFL, but it doesn't matter because you're playing against the best player in the NFL, and it's hard to discount that advantage no matter how good your team is overall. But it's more than Mahomes and what the Chiefs are doing at this juncture. We look at Isaiah Pacheco and how he's firmly established a really physical presence in that run game for the Kansas City Chiefs. More importantly, in the offense, the emergence of players like Rasheed Rice uh, as a number one target. Now, if you look over the last, up until uh, last weekend's game, he had uh, Rice and not Travis Kelsey have led the Chiefs in targets for five of the last six previous six weeks. So th th there's a comfortability factor that when teams are really collapsing down on Kelsey and trying to get him over the middle of the field, Rice can do some damage, and that's really been huge for the Chiefs' offense as well. And furthermore, that defense is much better than it's ever getting credit for. For example, the one throw that everyone is admonishing Josh Allen for with the wide-open Khalil Shakir in the back of the end zone that kind of fluttered short, it was because of Chris Jones driving Deion Dawkins into Josh Allen's lap. The reason that pass wasn't completed for a touchdown. And so when you look at the way they're playing as well, I think it's their complete combination peaking at the right time once again uh, for the Kansas City Chiefs. And speaking at the peaking at the right time too, Travis Kelsey, a guy that's kind of been quiet from the touchdown category, but then had two against the Bills. Do you think they're starting to click again at the right time? Well, I think it's uh, to what I mentioned earlier. The offense is opening up to a degree, right? So when you don't have to collapse the defense down consistently, on particularly on those middle of the field routes where you can uh, where you can uh, bracket Travis Kelsey in coverage consistently because others can make you pay. The last week it wasn't necessarily Rice; it was Marquez Valdez Scantling with two big catches. If these players show up. That offense is almost impossible to stop, and that's what we saw a few years ago when they had Tyreek Hill, but. With Hill's departure, well, from, from an overall standpoint, Mahomes is better because he sees the field better. It's not just, okay, I know he's down there somewhere. I'm just going to chuck it 
and let's hope for the best. And, and it, granted, it was always a little more than that. But now the way he orchestrates from all of his through all of his targets, he's done a wonderful job. And Kelsey, yes, he is the motor, but at the same time, others are opening up things for him. So I agree with you that he's really someone that we can see more of now that we're this late in the season. Brent, you mentioned Josh Allen and that throw that could have, you know, changed everything in that divisional game. Is Josh Allen falling more into the Dak Prescott conversation of not being able to win uh, the big one than the top quarterback conversation? I don't believe so because anyone who watched that game saw how he played phenomenally well. Uh, again, I'll point to the one throw that I mentioned. It was the left tackle that let him down. You can point to the kicker who missed the, who was another wide right situation in Buffalo. You can point to Stephon Diggs on the very first play on the final drive. The ball delivered perfectly, 60 yards downfield, misplays. It goes through his arms and then you lose a big play and an opportunity to potentially score earlier in the fourth quarter. So it's not necessarily uh, Josh Allen making these mistakes. Yes, he has a little bit of gunslinger in him, and there will be opportunities when he makes or attempts the types of throws he shouldn't. But overall, he does far more good than he does bad when he's on the field and places them in a position to win each week. And I will also point something else out, and this is something – I wrote this morning, we're already in Bleachport looking at coaches on the hot seat in 2024, and one of those that I included was Sean McDermott. So Sean McDermott is a defensive-minded head coach, right? And I understand Buffalo had a lot of injuries on that side of the ball when playing against the Kansas City Chiefs, but when your last three playoff losses, Patrick Mahomes is throwing for 75% completion percentage with an 8-0 to touchdown-to-interception ratio, you're not doing something right on that side of the ball, and your head coach needs to adjust, and he hasn't. It's interesting you say that. Ravi has been on the Sean McDermott uh, should be let go train uh, for the last month now. So you're not the only one that is uh, mentioning Sean McDermott's name. I may be on the other side of the fence still, uh, but, uh, you know, I I wouldn't say I I couldn't be convinced. Now, on the uh, NFC side of things. What do you think about the Lions 49ers active line? Because seven points seems like a lot. It does, and it's one of these ones where you want you want to make a pick based on common sense, but at the same time, you t- totally want to go with your heart. And when it comes to the Detroit Lions and everything that city's endured and how much losing they've gone through, the fact that they're one of two teams that were in existence before 2000 that still haven't been to a Super Bowl, that atmosphere the last two weekends was absolutely electric in Detroit. I'm, I almost feel bad that this game isn't in Detroit. You almost want to see it in, the, in that stadium again. Uh, but you look at the 49ers and how good they are, particularly the fact that Debo Samuel will figure out how effective he is, but that shoulder not being as uh, bad as we initially expected when he went out of that contest. These guys know how to create plays, how to design offenses, and Brock Purdy orchestrates it very, very well, and it makes it really difficult. No matter how much you like Detroit or rooting for them personally, this San Francisco team is so well-constructed on every level. Brent, um, Purdy took a lot of criticism for how he played in that divisional game last weekend. Do you think it was warranted? And if so, how much better does he need to be for the 49ers to win the Super Bowl this year? No, I don't think it's warranted. We, I mean, let's let's 
look, I, I just said I love the way he operates the offense efficiently. That, that was an overall statement. And, yes, there are points during the season where he, he's been up and down. Let's not forget, this is year two, right? <laughs> this is year two for him as a full-time starter. Not only uh, year two as a full-time starter, but he missed m- almost all the offseason because of that reconstructed elbow on his, on his throwing arm. So there are times where he's not going to be able to be the type of player we expect him to be, and that's okay because they have the talent around them, and that's really what's important. When it comes to Purdy and what he does, he just needs to be a facilitator, a point guard, if you will, to the offense. The way that Kyle Shanahan sets up his scheme, he devises it in a way to where he's always creating space, and by in creating space thus allows the playmakers to create after the catch or um, just uh, really improve by – adding chunk plays when essentially your quarterback's really passing the ball two, three, five yards downfield at the most. So to me, it's just about efficiency. And with Purdy, you don't need a lot out of him. You just need him to operate the offense. And if you do that, they will be absolutely fine and they should be considered a favorite as a result. I want to talk Jared Goff as well because I feel like he hasn't gotten as much love as maybe he's deserved. Do you think he is one of the most underrated quarterbacks in the NFL right now? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he's been, <laughs> I mean, it, it, I'm not trying to be, be facetious here. It's, it's just the fact that when you think back to the way he came to Detroit, he was essentially just a throw-in, right? Mm-hmm. It was, okay, Matthew Stafford's the big component here, and yes, the Rams won a Super Bowl with Matthew Stafford, but you know what? We don't need this quarterback anymore. We don't care that he was a number one overall pick. He wasn't good enough for us. You guys can just take him. Well, the guy that helped draft him and Brad Holmes as the general manager now of the Detroit Lions knew what type of uh, what professional and player that Jared Goff was. Now, I will say this. what Jared Goff, The reason Jared Goff was – uh, upgraded, if you will, from Matt, by Matthew Stafford is because he is another one of those quarterbacks where he's at his best when he's operating within the scheme. And today's NFL is so predicated on quarterbacks extending plays and their ability to work off platform and just creating, like we've seen with Patrick Mahomes and a Stafford and a Lamar Jackson. But when you have the situation Detroit does, which is arguably the best offensive line in football, right? You have mega, a mega talent in the backfield with Jameer Gibbs uh, emerging this year, plus a nice, solid runner in David Montgomery. Then you throw in the talent they have, a wide receiver, uh, with Amon, Amon Ross St. Brown being a first-team All-Pro. Josh Reynolds playing really well uh, down the stretch. And Jamison Williams' speed to kind of threaten defenses vertically. He can orchestrate that offense and make big-time throws. He's just not the guy that you want consistently being asked to shoulder the entire offense. He's not, and so he's playing exceptionally well for that Detroit Lions team. Brent, how much of a headache do you think Buccaneers fans have right now? Because I'm sure they're still banging their head against the wall about how that game ended against the Lions this past weekend. After hearing Todd Bowles say – Basically, we weren't going to win and essentially just giving up and not using that timeout. Well, I mean, yes, it's frustrating. It, it, it's a double-edged sword because, yes, that's frustrating. The way it ended is, is you don't want to see that because this is a team that was competitive, that pro- exceeded 
expectations. Uh, I think they found somewhat of an answer in Baker Mayfield, a quarterback, and a bit of a renaissance season. Maybe NFL Comeback Player of the Year if it wasn't for Damar Hamlin's uh, amazing comeback this season. I think that team's in a really good spot, to be quite honest with you. Now, specifically, it's concerning. And it's not the only time in Todd Bowles' career where he didn't have a a real good grasp of in-game situations. So, with that said, uh, I mentioned earlier that piece about how I wrote coaches on the hot seat. Despite what we heard from Bowles, I do not think he's on the hot seat. I think this is a team that maximized what they had this year. They had decisions to make this offseason with Baker and Mike Evans in particular. Uh, and yet they can build upon and come back next year even better. So I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt simply because the, I believe they outperformed most expectations this season. Brent, a, a little follow-up on Goff and Purdy. Who needs this win more to put some respect on their name? I will say Goff, and I will say that simply because uh, I'm pointing out, I pointed out earlier he is a former number one overall pick. He was the literal throw-in in a trade. He was the guy that wasn't good enough for the other team that went on subsequently to win the Super Bowl directly after they traded him. He is the guy leading a, a more bound franchise into prosperity and can prove himself to be a made man in Detroit. And so I, uh, I, the way I described Purdy earlier to me is the way he should be viewed. He is a cog in the machine. He is not the guy. In Detroit, Goff has a chance to become the guy, abolish so much poor history, and at the same time really establish himself as one of the elite quarterbacks in the NFL. Now, Brent, you know, you mentioned number one overall picks, and and a big debate right now in Chicago is do you keep Justin Fields, do you trade Justin Fields, do you keep the pick, do you trade the pick, how long do you wait for that to happen? I mean, it's a good position for Chicago to be in, but also uh, it seems like a decision that will just eventually stress management and, and the coaching staff out because they're going to feel like they're running out of time. What do you think is the best course of action for Chicago to take with the number one pick this season? I don't believe it should be strenuous because the situation became crystal clear in week 18. When you saw the way the Chicago Bears played against the Green Bay Packers, specifically the juxtaposition of the two quarterbacks on the field, it was clear that Jordan Love is already a superior starting option, right? So he threw for over 300 yards, a couple touchdowns, they win the game. Meanwhile, the Chicago coaching staff doesn't even have enough confidence in Justin Fields for him to throw the ball 20 times, right? And, yes, there are issues within Chicago's uh, roster. They need to rebuild their offensive line again. They still need more weapons. I could make an argument all day long until I'm blue in the face that they did not do him right after drafting him by improperly building uh, that roster. And so I look at Justin Fields this way. He is going to be a quality starting quarterback in the NFL, just not in Chicago. It's not the right situation. It hasn't been for the last couple of years, and that's become apparent. And with the way Green Bay's trending and the way Chicago has not done or has not built around fields properly, it's time to finally reset the clock. You have an opportunity with extenuating circumstances, thanks to the Bryce Young trade, to take your quarterback a choice, pair him with a new, your new offensive coordinator, have them work together for multiple years and see if you can improve that offensive situation overall and not have to pay 
Justin Fields his fifth-year rookie option, which that decision's coming this offseason, and potentially a mega contract much sooner than you would with a new talent behind center. Brent, another uh, franchise that needs a little bit of help in the guidance category, uh, but may have seemed to get it, uh, is the team in Nashville, the Tennessee Titans. They uh, bring over Brian Callahan from the Cincinnati Bengals, and Brian has kind of this um, this stellar reputation for being the offensive thinker, quarterback whisperer, whatever you want to attribute to his name. He, he's, he's been known to be that guy. However, uh, who's the quarterback in Nashville that he's whispering these sweet nothings to? <laughs> Odds are it's going to be Will Levis because they currently sit with the seventh overall pick. Current expectations when you're doing early draft projections, first overall pick, second overall pick are going to be quarterbacks. Number three, Jared Mayo has already hinted the Patriots are going to take quarterback at number three, so that could very well be the reigning Heisman Trophy winner, Jaden Daniels. So if all three are off the board, now you're into tier two of quarterbacks, and are you making that leap? Probably not. Furthermore, you still have the same general manager in place that traded up in the second round last year for Will Levis, and yes, he showed um, some some flashes last year, particularly in his debut. He showed the second-round pick with some of the decision-making that he made throughout beyond that uh, initial uh, contest. But what I will say is this, and I, I think you guys are sensing a theme with me here. It's about surrounding cast. It's situation, situation, right. situation, right? And so, to me, the Brian Callahan hire is absolutely fascinating for one specific reason, offensive line. The Tennessee Titans had the worst offensive line in football last year. It's no secret. Everyone understands this. They can address the position with that seventh-round pick. But here's the caveat. Brian Brian Callahan's father just happens to be the best offensive line coach in football who currently coaches for the Cleveland Browns. Will Bill Callahan accept the position to work with his son and and really uh, put the foundation that's needed properly to allow Levis to succeed and that offense to get back on track. To me, that will be one of the most fascinating decisions we'll see this entire offseason. Brent, I want to shift gears actually to the NFC North, but not the Lions. I want to go Vikings. Do they re-sign Kirk Cousins? Well, according uh, to the general manager, they absolutely will. And I think it's um, a bona fide mistake, to be quite honest with you. And it's not a slight against Kirk Cousins and the type of player he is, but he's very much established in the vein that we were discussing earlier. He is the guy you want operating the offense. He is not the guy if you need him to make plays outside of the offensive structure. It's been proven over time, over a very long career, and he's been paid premium dollars to be that type of player. Do they have a better option at the moment? No. But what I will say is this. You go out and you look to see who you can pair with Kevin O'Connell, who can fit into that offense, who can bring more to what they do. Much like what we saw with Josh Dobbs early in his tenure coming into that situation where he was able to create with his legs. They were able to open up the offense, add more of an RPO game. These are things that you can utilize in a quarterback class that you may not be in that top three range as we were discussing earlier, but how about a Michael Penix from Washington, right? How about a Bo Nix from Oregon? These are names of experienced long-term starters in college 
in, in Bo Nix's case, literally the most starts ever for a collegiate quarter quarterback. Thanks, COVID. So if you can get a guy like that that can step in that aren't going to be overwhelmed by being in a locker room full of men uh, that have been in the league for a long time, that's the perfect setup because you're building towards the future while having someone in the present. We're talking to Brent Sibileski, NFL analyst at Bleacher Report. Brent, uh, another coaching question for you. Let's go to the West Coast and talk about the Chargers. They had a second uh, meeting with Jim Harbaugh. And my first thought was this, and you can tell me if I'm crazy or not, but Jim Harbaugh, hot commodity on the market, right? Just won a national championship. You would think that he wouldn't need a second interview. Would the only reason for a second inter- interview be if they had a guy of like his caliber too that was also a candidate, say like Pete Carroll or Bill Belichick? It's possible uh, in this scenario. I think it's them essentially going through the process as they should. I, uh, and and let's let's take a step back currently and remember why he was so successful with the San Francisco 49ers, but flamed out very quickly in that scenario, right? He is a certain type of coach, and, and, and the best way to describe it, and I've, you, you've heard the comparisons, he's much like Bill Parcells. He comes in with a certain type of fire, a certain type of demeanor. He expects, uh, has very high expectations of himself and everyone in that locker room, and it works at first, right? It re-energizes an organization, a program, a franchise, but also over time, it wears thin, and so you as an organization have to make a decision. Is Jim Harbaugh going to be someone that's going to be here three, four years or someone that we think can be here, you know, for a longer period of time. And if you don't necessarily think he can be the latter, you should automatically go through the process and see some of the young and up up and coming coordinators. Look, Bobby Slowick has really um, impressed uh, multiple teams uh, reportedly. You have um, Johnson from, the Detroit Lions, you have McDonald from the Baltimore Ravens. These are these guys are all 36, 37 years old, right? They they're coming into the, they would come into head coaches. Arguably, well, two of them would be the youngest head coach in the NFL, depending on if one of them gets the job and one's not much. So um, that's really what you're weighing to me, and you're having that conversation. And it's not just about Harbaugh; it's also about Bill Belichick. And I tweeted that actually short right before we came on the air that the Atlanta Falcons are looking at. Belichick and Slowick as arguably their top two candidates, and one would be the oldest head coach in the NFL fired. The other one would be the youngest. That's a, it's a, <laughs> a, a utterly amazing dynamic when you think about it. But with the Chargers, they have options, and that's what's really strong about their their setup is they have the most enviable job on the market because of one person, Justin Herbert, and nowhere else has that that established. Uh, franchise quarterback and so if you want Harbaugh I think they get Harbaugh but it just depends if someone else impresses them while they work their way through the process. Brent we appreciate your time this morning thanks so much for taking 20-25 minutes out of your day to talk NFL with us Uh, we'll talk again soon. Appreciate it everyone enjoy the games this weekend. Hey you too man Brent Sobolewski NFL analyst for Bleacher Report great stuff there at Brent Sobolewski on Twitter. All right, when we come back, there was one more perspective that we did not get to, and it involves your Omaha Supernovas. We will talk about that next when we come back. Stick around. More Heard at Sports Radio with Anna Bellinghouse and Andrew Rogers. You're listening to Heard at Sports Radio.
All right, welcome back, Heard at Sports Radio. Have you checked your watch? It's 9.30, which means you only have 30 more minutes with us. That's okay, though. If you missed anything on the show, you can go back and listen to the Herd at Sports Radio podcast page. You can also make sure to tune in to 590 from 4 to 6 today. Catch Chris Schmidt, Elijah Herbal. Um, we'll be back every day, Monday through Friday. And uh, if you're just joining us now, welcome. Uh, ESPN 590, Tri-Cities. We're live on Twitter, live on YouTube. KFOR in Lincoln. She's Anna Bellinghausen in for Ravi Lula today. I'm Andrew Rogers. So I went into break and I told you that there was something about the supernovas that were that was brought up yesterday, and it was by um, it was by a sports journalist in Chicago, if I'm correct. Mm-hmm. Um, and the tweet read this um, because. VolleyballMag.com tweeted out greetings from chilly snow-covered Omaha where the supernovas are super excited. Nice play on words there. Great work there, Volleyball Mag. To play Atlanta Vibe on Wednesday in the Pro Football or Pro Football. I say that all the time. Pro Volleyball <laughs> Federation. Same thing. <laughs> no, different thing. Different <laughs> thing. This, this ball is round. It's got some stripes with some colors on it. Um, the Pro Volleyball Federation Inaugural match. I can't believe I said that word twice perfectly today on the show. And um, the comment on the post was, I don't claim to know anything about pro volleyball, but Omaha seems like an odd location for the the marquee franchise. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that got some Nebraska Knights going. They, They got them going a little bit. And it goes back to what we were talking about with perspective, though, because... You know, if you know anything about volleyball here in the state, 92,000 people went to a college volleyball match, so people care. Um, and it made a lot of sense for a franchise to be brought here, um, and, and, and primarily because it would have instant support. Look, you know, volleyball across the nation, if it isn't a, if it isn't a volleyball team in Nebraska or Wisconsin or Oregon or Texas, whatever, you're not getting the support for another volleyball team like you are in these states. It's just not there because it's not as prestigious. But the other point I wanted to bring up, too, is if you're not from the state of Nebraska, you do have to, you know, sit back, look at the bigger picture, like I've been telling people, and say, well, you know, volleyball isn't looked at as a huge sport, for one. And two, people outside of the state just don't know. They, they just don't know. If I did not transplant here, if I stayed in uh, St. Louis, Missouri, and I, even if I saw that 92,000 people went to a volleyball match at Nebraska's football stadium, I wouldn't think that that would have um, – that wouldn't have bled into a pro volleyball team in Omaha. Like, that wouldn't be my first thought. And so I want to, I want to go a little bit easier on the guy that made the post because he did say – that he doesn't claim to know anything about pro volleyball. Mm -hmm. Like, that's how he let off his tweet. But then he followed it up with, Omaha seems like an odd location. Now, if you work in sports, you should have probably seen that the record was broken, that, you know, volleyball just doesn't happen at a a football stadium all too often. But I want people to know that outside of the state, they just don't know. They, They don't know how passionate Nebraska is about their volleyball. Yeah, and also if you're not well educated on something, maybe don't say something. But maybe, but but like, it is good to but inform people. It's all about opinions, but right? Yeah, it is about opinions, but it's also like I responded to him literally on the fact that I wanted to inform him 
of, hey, no, actually volleyball is really big here because he probably just didn't know. And I don't fault him because, like you said, Andrew, if I was in, let's say, St. Louis, I might not understand, okay, why would Omaha get a pro volleyball team? That seems random. Well, no, it's not because volleyball is the number one women's sports here. Um, well, because you'd probably think, oh, they're going to get a Major League Baseball team sure. first because they have the College World Series. You're not thinking yeah, about volleyball. You might not. And, and even if, um, like, you take out Volleyball Day in Nebraska – I still think, though, Nebraska in general has such a big volleyball community from the club level, obviously the college level with Nebraska, Creighton, Omaha, all three teams making the tournament, and then you look at the NAI level, you look at the D2, D3 level, and all these teams are good, and it's such a hotbed for volleyball, and I don't think it's, it's just not talked about enough until maybe these past two years, so people are just kind of catching on, and then I think pro volleyball is going to completely blow everything up and, and become the NFL of, of volleyball for, for the United States. States and it's a huge night tonight obviously with the opener here um, in Omaha so yeah from an outside perspective you might not understand that and he replied back to my tweet and said so when does Iowa City get a WNBA team but I don't think that's fair I don't think that's fair at all because volleyball in general is celebrated so highly in Nebraska in general that it doesn't matter yeah. if that team is well, good or there's a certain Nebraska's player on it. Nebraska's been good for so long. Yeah, and, it, and it's, so you have to you have to look back at history. You can't just say because Caitlin Clark is in Iowa City and she's really putting women's basketball back on the map. Like UConn women's basketball was on the map forever, uh-huh. right? But you're not going to just say like, oh, when is Connecticut going to yeah, get a get women's a, basketball in team? In stores. Right, and, and, and the same thing with, with Caitlin Clark here. Mm-hmm. You have to really look at the history and be like, oh, like Nebraska's won natties. Oh, Nebraska has been really good for the last 20, 30 years. Yeah. And so because of that, getting a pro volleyball team is not – when was Iowa City a hot, be, like a, a hot market to watch women's basketball before Caitlin Clark? And, like, talent coming out of that spot too. Right. And, and they've had players, but they haven't had wh- – wh- name me some WNBA I don't players. Know. And really you can only <laughs> name, like, six probably WNBA players. And they would probably be from people in last year's draft that you remembered from – and not the, specific talent season. out of Iowa, too, that I can name, I guess, off the top of my head. That's probably biased because I don't live there. I live in Nebraska, and I can name, obviously, great athletes from here. But I, I think it is unfair because you can't just look at what one person's done for a sport and say, oh, that's why it's so popular there. Well, no, it's not because even if Nebraska, I think, didn't win another national championship ever, I still think volleyball would be as popular as it is. I don't think it always relies on college or a certain player like – Harper Murray or Jordan Larson from Nebraska, yeah, of course that helps, but I think there's already the support and the community there, and that's why Nebraska gets this team. It's all, Omaha's also a, a bigger market. Like Iowa City is nowhere close to, well, and, and like you, you take argument. that out. Yeah, you it's take a, that a out. Man's argument. Like he, in a lot of his replies, I saw that he, he, um, he, he drank some humble juice, but it, seeing like a reply like that, it's like. Well, well, man, you're already you're already down. Like, do you want me to kick you again while you're down? Like, people tell you not to. Don't kick a man while he's down. But you're like asking yeah. to be kicked and while I, you're down. I think it's more of just an informative thing, and I'm sure he learned a little bit about Nebraska and hey, volleyball and how much. If, if anything, he learned that uh, Nebraskans love their volleyball and will stand up for anything in the state. But um, yeah, I don't know. Just I think volleyball is just so big here, and it, it doesn't. 
rely on one certain little thing of Nebraska being good or volleyball day in, in, in the state. I think it has it's just culminated in so many different ways that you can't pinpoint one thing. But I'm excited to see how it'll grow and if you don't got haters you ain't popping, so Let's go to the phone, 888-638-4876, if you'd like to get involved. We'll change gears, talk to Michael. Michael, good morning. What's on your mind, man? Two things, Andrew. A lot of, like, I am basically part of Reach the Summit podcast, and, and we've been chit-chatting a lot about selling basketball, and it's been an interesting season so far. Yeah, men's basketball has been re- mm-hmm. really, really good. Um, you know, in the Summit League, I've been looking at bracketology, and I saw that SDSU took o- overstepped them in the standings, and that's because UNO had dropped their last yep. two. But they've been they've been really strong for Crutch's second year. Yep, they have been in that game in South Coast State, 14 down, able to cut, to cut the deficit to one, and only was by three. That tells you. That there and in Kansas City, of course, must have been rusty from Stonehill State, and then of course UMKC they kind of mm-hmm. had a, had a little more rest too, which kind of helped out. And then this week with Omaha, they have to go to Tulsa, mm-hmm. place Oral Roberts, tough place to play. And, and and I've been watching a lot of the I've been hearing about different Soviet teams, and all I have to say is some tough road games and. But especially Saturday's game against Denver, that Tommy Bruner guy is just uh, – when he's on, he's on. Yeah, mm-hmm. he's a good player. And you know what? We talk a lot about how Nebraska needs to win on the road. UNO needs yeah. to win on the road. Yeah. They're 1-8 this season on the road. This is a huge week for the Mavericks. It definitely is not going to really make or break what happens in the summer. Again, like all across college basketball this week will be a huge make or break week. Michael, we appreciate the call, man. Thanks so much. Call anytime. Yep. Also, other thing, Andrew. Hopefully, you're, you're still around. Uh, hopefully, on Monday evening, there's that Mavericks All Access happening at her that sports bar. Oh yeah. Yep. Hopefully, I can. Hopefully, I can make it. Yeah, please make it for that. And if you don't, say hello to me um, whenever I'm. Make MC. some noise for the Duluth games in early February. Uh, When we come back, let's play a little trivia here on Heard at Sports Radio. You're listening to Heard at Sports Radio. All right, welcome back. Heard at Sports Radio, I uh, have been informed of something again today. Hmm. Uh, Heath on YouTube tells me that Connecticut does have a women's basketball NBA team. A Store? WNBA team. Okay, but stores. Yeah, Connecticut's on. Um, so, wait, what? Connecticut's on. I'm pretty sure that's oh, what okay. it's called. Yeah, yeah sure. Yeah. Um, I don't watch enough WNBA Let's basketball. Let's see what city I don't watch in. enough NBA basketball. Uh, but he, thank you for informing me on that. Um, if your he goes, if your city is the capital for a sport, you deserve a pro team, and that's why Omaha has a pro team. Um, 
No, 100%. Um, it, it's great for the city that the Supernovas are, are here and here to stay, and they take on the Atlanta vibe tonight at 7 o'clock at the CHI Health Center. We're going we're gonna to give away tickets right now on the show, and it's got some trivia loaded up. Were you going to uh, double-check the WNBA team? I was. They, they play at Mohegan Sun, so we do stand corrected. It's, it's in Connecticut, yes, but not technically in stores where UConn is located. So you're kind of like halfway right, Andrew, but you'll still take the L <laughs> it's, there. It's also, um, you know, Nebraska-Lincoln is probably the hotbed for volleyball versus, you know, Omaha with Creighton and UNO. Not to say that both programs aren't fantastic, yeah. but the Huskers get the branding more times than not. So uh, that's also not in the premier city that's as fair. well. But that's I, fair. You know what? I'll count it. I'll count it. It's a, it's, it's a layup. It's not an and one, though. There you go. It's not an and one. Uh, but there looked to be some contact. Mm. All right. Let's, do, uh, let's play some trivia. Do I have to leave? Yeah, you do. I'm kicked out of the room. This Get out is, here. This is weird. I'm not normally the one that leaves. I like asking the questions. It's a lot less stressful. Right, Shane? So we will we'll play with Shane first here. So, Shane, how long have you lived in Omaha, Nebraska? Uh, I've lived here for 23 years. Andrew, how long have you lived here? Uh, we're going on. He's going on. Going on year. Year. Three. Okay. Okay. So 20, what did you say? 23? 23 years. Versus yes. three years. All right. So uh, I will give you multiple choice. Uh, Andrew will also get it just because I think it might be a little too difficult without it. And okay. we want we want some correct answers. We're, we're rooting for you guys today. Okay. So Shane. That's first, nice of you. Yes, you're welcome. Shane, first question. Which is Nebraska's state bird? The golden finch, the blue jay, or the meadowlark? Oh, good lord. Does anybody really know that kind of stuff? Go through it once more real quick. The golden finch, the blue jay, or the meadowlark? I'm going to go with the golden finch. Okay. Next question. Which sandwich was invented in Omaha, Nebraska? The Reuben? The Reuben. Okay. You're going to go with that. Not even going to let me give you the other answer choices. Got it. Yep. Which... Of these was the name of the NBA team Omaha used to be a part of. <laughs> the Grizzlies? No. The Pistons? No. Or the Kings? Uh, the Kings. Okay. And last one. The Omaha Storm Chasers' former name, not the Royals, used to be what? The Naturals? No. The Omahogs? Or the Golden Spikes? Golden Spikes. I used to work for them. Okay. Yeah, that was easy. And do I get a do we get a tiebreaker? We're going tiebreaker too. Oh wow, you're prepared today. I like this. Which player played at least one season with the Omaha Casey Kings? Aforementioned, Bob Boozer, Nate Archibald, or Jerry West? Can I have a year? 1972. So that would take. Okay, so that would take. Go through the names once more. Bob Boozer, Nate Archibald, Jerry West. Uh, I'm going to go with Nate. Okay. You want me to go get Andrew? You go get him. Okay, what are you going to talk about while I'm gone? Um, you know, I might just talk about you. Maybe I'll talk about the history of the Omaha Casey King. So pretty cool thing, actually. So there used to be an NBA team in Omaha shared with Kansas City, played half their home games in KC, half their home games in Omaha. And now Omaha gets its own pro team in volleyball. So kind of fitting that that trivia is in the books today. Andrew Rogers making his way back up here. Shane, I think, look at how he's walking. I think he's feeling pretty confident. Shane said he only got one wrong. Okay. The first one? All right, I'm ready. All right. I'm ready, let's do this thing. Let's do it. 
First question. Okay. Which is Nebraska's state bird? Oh, no. The golden finch, the blue jay, or the meadowlark? The golden finch, the blue jay, or the blue jay, excuse me, or the what? Meadowlark. What the heck is a meadowlark? Um, he used to play for the uh, Globetrotters in the 70s. No. <laughs> That's metal of, You're thinking of Russell Westbrook. Oh, gosh. <laughs> the, okay, the Blue Jay, there's no way. There's, a, there's no way. Right? What's Missouri State? I don't even think I could tell you that. I, I think it's the Blue Jay. All right, I'm going to say it's not the Blue Jay. The other two, the Golden Finch seems weird. I'll go with the last one. Okay, the, the Metal Arc? Sure. All right. So you're picking that. <laughs> that doesn't give me a lot of confidence. <laughs> what is the uh, name of the sandwich that was invented in Omaha? The Reuben. Okay. Was that one just so easy for everybody? Whatever. What was the name of the NBA team Omaha used to be a part of? The Grizzlies, the Pistons, or the Kings? Well, this is a good trivia question. Like, just a sports trivia question yeah. in general. Um feel like I would have heard about the Pistons. The Grizzlies or the Kings? The Grizzlies would make s- uh, Would that make sense? Um, the Omaha Grizzlies. The Omaha Kings. The <laughs> Omaha Pistons. <laughs> Please welcome to the floor your Omaha Grizzlies. Doesn't sound right. I'll go with the Kings. Okay. Going Kings. So the Omaha Storm Chasers have a former name. We're not talking about the Omaha Royals. Everyone knows that. But okay. what was their other former name that was permanent? The Naturals, the Omahogs, or the Golden Spikes? I feel like you just pulled Omahogs out of the Arkansas basket for the CWS. Um, the Golden Spikes or the what? The Naturals. That's a sweet name. Um, yeah, let's go with the Naturals. Okay. It's definitely the Golden Spikes. So, tiebreaker time. Oh, goodness. This one, you just, should I, should I just make you pick? Well, what'd you do for Shane? No, I'm just kidding. We'll give you, we'll give you multiple choices. No, let, let me see if I can get it without the pick. Go ahead. No, there's no way. Come on. There's no way. Well, just Because of how question. I framed the question. Okay, so which player, name a player from the Omaha KC Kings that was their star player in 1972. You see that, Shane? <laughs> that means I already got it right. Um, I have no clue. You I thought choices. you said the Grizzlies. No, I said the Omaha Grizzlies. I thought you, said the, wrong. I thought you said the Pistons. Um, well, do you have answer choices? Yeah. I thought you said the yeah, Magic. Give me the answer choices. Bob Boozer, <laughs> Nate Archibald, Jerry West. Give me Archie. Correct. <laughs> All right. Yeah, give me <laughs> and so I didn't. I didn't end up giving you the answer there. So it was Kings. So Shane got. I right, go through the answers. Yeah. Let's uh, t- tell me what Shane got. Tell me what I got. So for the state bird, it's the metal arc. Oh, I got it right. So you got it right. Shane, you picked golden finch, right? That is correct. Yeah. So you got it wrong. One to zero. So one zero in favor of Andrew. Uh, what was the name of the NBA team Omaha used to be a part of? It's the Kings. I already gave that one away. Did you get? Did Shane get that too? Shane got that one right. Yep. <laughs> so two to one, and then the Reuben y'all both got. So three to one or three, three to two? Three, three, excuse two, me. Two. Jeez, counting. Uh, Omaha Storm Chasers. Former name that was not the Royals. 
It's the Golden Spikes. I knew it. It's not the Naturals. The Naturals is the double A team for the KC Royals. So if you would know your farm system for the Royals it. like I do. Okay, Anna, relax. Most, most teams just go with the same mascot, like the Cardinals. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. So in in essence, we tied. Do you have another one? We can say the, ex the Ooh, they, yeah. we, we can do the a answer at the exact same time. Wait, wait, wait. Did he get the tiebreaker too? He did. Yeah. Oh, so we tied. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we need another tiebreaker. Yeah. So Nate Archibald was the player. Um, so he was a baller. Said, I'm disappointed in you, Andrew. Shane got you on one of the sports questions. <laughs> no, that's hey, bad. you know what, man? Uh, I, 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 you don't even have to tell me that uh, shame on me because I already uh, carry enough shame right now letting Shane answer that one over me. All right. Tiebreaker times two. Which famous person is from Nebraska? JoJo Siwa. Lady Gaga. <laughs> Adam Devine. Or Kevin Hart. Shane, go ahead. He's thinking. Lady Gaga. I think it's Adam Devine. It's Adam Devine. So, Let's Andrew, go! that's your winner. Dr. Transplant. You know, I was going to use JoJo in that, well, I was, too. I was throwing off because there, there was Cause that. Because Shane has no idea who JoJo Siwa is. There There's was no that, way. There was that rumor for the longest time back in, like, 2010. That Gaga was from here? That no. That she was buying a huge house over, out in. She was West dating someone from Nebraska. Yeah. So I, and sings about Nebraska in one of her songs. Yeah. Didn't Baker Mayfield marry a Nebraska girl? Creighton. She went to Creighton, yeah. Oh, Creighton girl? Yeah. Oh, okay. So she's not from Nebraska? I don't know if she's from Nebraska. I don't know. Not in the T that her much. Name? What is Mrs. Mayfield's name? <laughs> oh no, Rich Baker Mayfield wife. We have we have a couple of seconds. Emily Wilkinson. Okay. Yeah, she's from or she went to Creighton. I'm not sure Emily where she's from though. Emily Wilkinson. Really getting in the weeds here. But yeah, yeah he went to one of the Creighton games yeah, last year. Yeah, that was yeah. dope. Uh, she is from Omaha, Nebraska. Oh nice. Put us on the map. Which means she probably went to uh, high school here, right? Like she, if she stayed at Creighton, she probably went to high school here too. Probably. She's not like. Uh, she left and came back. Uh, we should do a segment. Which famous person is married to someone from Omaha? Oh, that would be a good one. Dwayne uh, Wade. Emily Wilkinson. So she went to Creighton for sure? Yeah. Did Actually, I don't know that. But she was at a Creighton game with him, so I assumed. This says Emily Wilkinson, NE track and field bio. Westside. She went to Westside. Let me see her numbers. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, she's a 200 that oh, meter, 4x100. That's pretty good. I had her in that 200, though. There you go. The more <laughs> you know. Shane took you down. How many years did you live in Omaha? 23. <laughs> 23 months. We'll be back with more Herd Sports months. Radio tomorrow.